York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl with yellow feathers in her hair and a dress cut down her legs. She would merengue and do the cha-cha. And while she tried to be a star, Tony always tended bar across the crowded floor. They worked from eight till four. They were young and they had each other. Who could ask for more at the Copa? Copa Cabana. Oh, God. Every time I see Barry Manilow now. Yeah, I know, I know. He's a Brooklyn boy. Comes out of Williamsburg, Eastern District High School, where there were 4,000 guys. If he gets one more facelift, his face will snap like an old rubber band. But this song was pulsating in my mind as I was walking through Hell's Kitchen. Through the rain, the sleet, and what was expected to be a nor'easter today, but it didn't deliver. Psych. Oh, snow bomb. It was going to be a snow bomb, remember? All the weather forecasters batting down the hatches. Oh, my God, the weather is going to turn out to be nothing. Turned out to be absolutely jack diddly squat nothing. Yeah, experts. Maybe they should have uh, given us some of their expertise uh, on the invasion of the Ukraine by uh, Vladimir Putin. Oh, he's not going to do it. Then he did it. Oh, the Russians will smash him. Oh, they're not prepared. Get out of here with these experts. Remember, coming in to today was supposed to be a snow bomb, right? Supposed to be a nor'easter. And I got to tell you. It didn't live up to prime time. And all the weather forecasters later in the day, it's as if they even forgot about their weather forecast. No, they're not going to go back and appeal that and amend that or have an addendum and say, I could sleep wrong. Oh, heavens to Betsy, that ain't going to happen. You know how many de- how many people's days they ruined today? People who canceled plans, canceled rallies, canceled demonstrations. Ooh, the snow bomb is coming through. Ooh, it's going to be a nor'easter. Ooh. We depend too much on these so-called self-appointed experts, and then when they're wrong, like Dr. Fauci was for over two years, do they ever do a pirouette and say, mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa, I couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. So... I didn't get psyched out like the rest of you. I happened to have gone through Hell's Kitchen. And I noticed a number of things that took me on the time machine because if there's one thing about this unnamed program, that's right, we are a program without a name at this point. We are desperately in search of a new name. Ever since that fuss butt. Uh, had a hissy fit, Frank Morano, and determined we could no longer be referred to as the other side of midnight. As we called it the weekend version of the other side of midnight. But, oh, no, he put up such a protest, such a hissy fit. 
that the suits, the markets, the muckety mucks have decided we have to uh, seek out a new name, and they've given us a week to do it, and we are definitely on course. I want to thank so many of you who have come forward, not only in terms of the many calls who flooded, flooded our phone screen. Uh, Carmela, right? Carmela, I get it right. Uh, you know, Camelia, Camelia, whatever. It starts with a C. Maybe I'll remember. It's like Curtis with a C, right? Get used to it. I mispronounce everybody's name. Uh, if you're a friend, you get a nickname. If you're a foe, you get a nickname. What does it matter? You end up getting a nickname of one type or another. If you've been around long enough in the private arena or the public arena. But now I digress. So as it was going through Hell's Kitchen, I noticed, wow, the signage on 51st and Hell's Kitchen. The Copacabana, what is this like now, the 29th time that the Copacabana has been reinvented and reopened? And so it brought back all the memories, although that made-for-television movie with Barry Manilow. I got to get this out of my system. So I'm landing in Vegas to visit the Guardian Angels. It was hotter than hell. You know what it's like in the summertime. That's a desert in in the wintertime, never mind in the summertime. So I'm landing on the tarmac, and we're lucky that the wheels have not, like, glued to the black asphalt. And as you as you go down and you prepare to hit your terminal, you see billboard after billboard of Barry Manilow, and it's frightening. It makes you almost want to say, could you take me back, Southwest Airlines, could you take me back to Houston or another location where I could puddle jump back Back to uh, MacArthur Airport in Long Island, or maybe even to LaGuardia. Please, please take me back. I don't want to see any more Barry Manilow billboards. By the way, when you go to Vegas, what is the other billboard that you see on a regular basis? Because he has been a fixture in Vegas almost since Bugsy Siegel told uh, Meyer Lansky, a.k.a. the man with the money for organized crime, hey, if we build it, they will come. Well, he never had a chance to see that because he got machine gunned through a a window of some uh, mall doll that he was dating in Hollywood. Blonde hair, blue eyes. He caught multiple bullets in the back of the head. Never got a chance to see what Vegas became. But there he stood with Maya Lansky. And he said, if we build it, they will come. And eventually he was right. He never got a chance to live to see that, in fact, his uh, predictions would come true. But in this case, when I was on that tarmac, and having seen Barry Manilow again and again and again, and then having seen the other fixture again and again and again, who I remember seeing as a young boy waiting for Topo Gigio to appear for, like, what, the 49th, 59th time on the Ed Sullivan Show, this young man came out on the stage and sang a song. And ever since... He's been, like, uh, totally immersed in the Las Vegas decadent and debaucherous culture that exists there. As the mayor, I might add, of uh, Las Vegas has said in the past and presently now as his wife is the mayor, the former uh, top lawyer for all of organized crime in Philadelphia when the Brunos uh, were active uh, and their enemies were uh, out to dissolve them from Atlantic City, Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, who is that person I'm referring to, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 
WABC. And then as I traveled a little further south in Hell's Kitchen, in the drizzle, in the rain, not the snow bomb, not the nor'easter that all those fake, phony, fraudulent, fagazi weather forecasters predicted. I noticed right there in 48th and 49th, 9th Avenue, that's where the old Westies, that's where the Westies had their headquarters. James Coonan, Mickey Spillane, Mickey Featherstone, I had run-ins with them. Oh, and their affiliation with the Gambinos. Oh, oh. Roy DeMeo. Oh, well, well, we're going to get into all of this because I was in memory lane. And the reason that I was in such a fog of memory lane tonight, and especially coming off of listening to Tony Orlando without Dawn, you know, you're thinking about the Copacabana. You're thinking about the Latin Quarter. That was the competition at the time. By the way, uh, whose uh, father owned the Latin Quarter for so many years when it was the other location that you had to be seen and you had to go to? If you didn't have reservations at the Copacabana. Now, which one of those? One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I don't know. They reopened, though, the Copacabana. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But the reason I'm in a shadow is that at approximately, uh, is he, what is it? Two o'clock this morning, right? Two o'clock this morning. Management through HR is taking away one hour of my six-hour extravaganza uh, that takes place from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning, right? Every Sunday morning, it's become a fixture here at WABC. But they took an hour away because Frank, the Mameluke, the Mashad, the Mangaluch, was a whistleblower last week. Last week, a whistleblower. Just this little line caused HR to fire up a flare, and it caused ramifications that to this day are affecting my broadcast. You know, he was talking about uh, my exposing, my whistleblowing of Curtis putting his in the mini wheat jar. Could you believe that? They caught me putting my hand in the jar of uh, the sugar-frosted mini wheats that I snack on here. Due to Margot Katsimatidis, who has the smorgasbord to spread like you can't believe in the kitchen out there. And uh, in between breaks, as you know, between segments of the show, there's very little time, very little time. So I have to run back there, and I have to grab whatever I can to run back in here, and the freaking bottom of the dispenser was not operating. You know how it's like a grain uh, elevator in the Midwest. It gets clogged up, and you have to take the grain out on top with a derrick. I don't know if any of you are aware of that because you don't strike me as people who went to uh, the 4-H club when you were kids. You know, Farmer Jones and Farmer Jane. No, no, most of you know. You weren't. So I put my hand in like it was a Derek, and I grabbed the sugar-frosted mini-wheats, and Frank ratted me out, and then all of a sudden, because HR has this algorithm pattern now and we see monitor every word on this broadcast, and they have to because there are the seven words Remember that George Carlin said you could not say on the airwaves, and he is correct, because it's an FCC violation, and there could be dramatic ramifications for you, the broadcaster, and for the owner and operators of the station, in this case, John and Margot Katsimatidis, owners of our parent organization, Red Apple Media. 
And so that's why the algorithm is there, because guys like Izzy, you know, they're staring at their navel. They may miss one of these words, and then all of a sudden we're all traumatized as a result. So artificial intelligence kicks in. AI kicks in, and it will bleep it. I can't tell you how many times that's happened with Izzy, you know, who's scratching his tuchus, uh, you know, who's wondering what his future is going to be. And then all of a sudden somebody drops the F-bomb and he's like, huh, 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 it's too late. But the algorithm gets it. And remember, this was created by Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. No, make that uh, meta world piece. Who developed the al- algorithm so that he and his cohorts could track Everything that you do in your life, every post you make on Facebook, like you went to uh, you went to Denny's for the Grand Slam, or you is he uh, uh, you went to what IHOP, right? And whatever you purchased there, you put down. You took pictures of you schmuck, and you say, "Hey, look at what I have for breakfast." Breakfast, like who cares what you have? Ah, but the algorithms pick that up, and then all of a sudden you are bombarded with ads from Facebook, from Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever. Uh, about, oh, all the, oh, IHOP or Denny's or whatever, the Grand Slam, the whole nine yards. So they got the algorithms here. And look, I got caught. I got caught. And then they went back and they checked the videotape because everything is videotaped here because of the sensitive equipment and a radio station. And they saw me putting my big mitt into the frosted mini wheats jar. And they had a heart attack. Oh, it's COVID-19. You could be infecting others. And so they're taking an hour this morning from my program, and they said, uh, hopefully you'll learn from this traumatic experience and you won't do it again because there may be even more dire circumstances down the road. So what would normally be a six-hour program is now a five-hour program. I don't like that. Because remember what WABC represents, ABC always broadcasting Curtis, and that means one less hour of Curtis this morning, and I am not a happy camper. So that's why I was walking all over Hell's Kitchen. And luckily, you were not a thug because I would have hit you so hard tonight, your mother would have felt the vibrations. I was an angry camper. But the memories of the Copacabana in all of its many forms and memories of the Westies that I had minimal battles with when I set up shop uh, in the middle of the crack cocaine epidemic in the mid-'80s, right on 46th Street, West 46th Street, Restaurant Row off 8th Avenue, just a few blocks from their uh, dominion at 48th, 49th on 9th Avenue. Oh, yeah. Oh, I came across those Irish lads on a number of occasions uh, who had that uh, that white blow all over their nose. Like, hey, guys, you think maybe after doing those lines of cocaine at your favorite location, the 596 Club? Oh, yeah, 596 Club. I got to tell you about that later on. If you walked in there. And let's say you ordered a Jameson. Yeah, Jameson, straight. I want to prove I could drink those Irish guys under the table. You'd say, hey, buddy, what's what's that in the jar behind you? Oh, that's a guy's head in formaldehyde. Whose head is that? What head in what bed was that extricated from? It's none of your B.I.B. business, right? Oh, we're going to get into all of that tonight. But before we do anything else... I got to share with you that I'm, I'm, I've been robbed of an hour this morning. I'm not happy. Although I understand there are rules and regulations and there are consequences uh, in your life for the actions you take. 
and putting my big fat mitt on the frosted mini wheats apparently is it's not a violation it's not a misdemeanor it's not a felony crime it's not a venial sin it's not a mortal sin it's worse than that it ends up taking an hour out of this broadcast and all because of that rat how else do you describe him he's a rat Frank Morano so now we have the uh, prob- problem of having to come up with a new name for this program and having to have it ready by next Friday night. Hey, guess what? Uh, and I do appreciate all the suggestions that have come in. But uh, I'm really mad at these weather people. Well, let remember. Warning, warning, snow bomb, nor'easter. Oh, the Northeast Corridor will be paralyzed. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's start by going to Eileen. Your turn to be heard here at WABC where there was no snow bomb, no nor'easter. Hey, Eileen. I know that, Curtis, and that's what I'm upset about. These weathermen cannot detect a fart in a phone booth. Ha! Ha! That's how bad they are. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. That is that is brilliant. Now, were you hovering down in your domicile? Were you awaiting the nor'easter, the snow bomb that was supposed to impair all of us? Yes, I was. I was fixing to go shopping, food shopping today, and it just blew my whole day because yeah. of their forecast. Yeah, they, they, they put fear, fright, hysteria, and hype into everybody. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, what's happening uh, with all the products you would normally buy in the supermarket or at the grocery store is they're shrinking down the product. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, so you end up paying the same price, Eileen. Mm-hmm. But you notice, wow, 32 ounces is now 28 ounces. Correct. And they're using tricknology to make you think like, oh, no, all of that inflation is really not affecting your particular product of your choice. But mm-hmm. it is. There is. It's shrink. They're shrinking all the 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 volume and the weight of your products down. I know that it's sad, but I got something for them to shrink, and I'm not allowed to say it. Oh, that's oh, right. Man. Because hey, we don't want you know the what I'm talking yeah about. And the HR and the algorithms to pick that up, and then I'll be mm-hmm. in double trouble. They'll take two hours away from me. Putin would pick it up. I'd take five hours away from us. <sighs> but. Uh, Eileen, what are you gonna do, Curtis? I know, I know. No, 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 no. Look, there are barriers, there are restraints in everything we do in life. There are consequences for our actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want everybody to know, just like you shouldn't have been listening to those fake generals on TV, uh, those so-called wonks on TV telling us about the Ukraine, telling us about uh, Putin, telling us about the price of gas, telling us about mm-hmm. petroleum and everything else. Do not listen, as Eileen can attest, to all those so-called weather experts who failed us. Hey, Saturday is normally a big shopping day. But, you know, they put fear, fright, hysteria, and hype into everybody. So they couldn't uh, get out and clean out all the toilet paper off the shelves of the supermarkets. Why is it? 
that whenever you think there's going to be some kind of weather emergency, the first thing you buy up is all the toilet paper. As if all of a sudden there will be a run on toilet paper. No toilet paper whatsoever. And then, of course, every imaginable piece of rock salt that you could get your hands on. So if you run, if you run out of rock salt, you then end up buying all the Red Cross salt for the Gentiles and the Jewish kosher salt for the Jews because you're figuring, oh, my God, if it's an ice storm, we'll slip and fall and we'll bust our tuchus. So we got to lay the salt down. And there's never enough rock salt, right, because uh, every granule of rock salt is purchased. So every roll of toilet paper is bought and every bag of rock salt is bought. And then you scratch your head and you said, why did I capitulate to Fear Friday hysteria and hype? Why did I believe the headline, snow bomb, snow bomb, nor'easter coming, nor'easter coming? Hunker down, hunker down, don't go outside, it's dangerous. 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. I need to get back into that Copacabana move again. As much as I do not like Barry Manilow, boy from Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Eastern District High School. Oh, this jam. This jam was uh, like in, a year before I started the Guardian Angels, I'm pretty sure, 1978. Uh, oh. And I remember, I remember how many films were filmed at the Copa Cabana. Just out of memory, there was that great scene, remember at Goodfellas? Raging Bull, right? Uh, oh, great. There, Carlito's Way, The French Connection, The Irishman. Oh, it's really good stuff. Tomorrow uh, night, there's the Dean Martin Hour. And I think that was the last public appearance made by Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, Lewis before they went their separate ways. But uh, they also made their debut in New York uh, at the Copa. So they made up, they broke up, all at the Copa. What was it? Danny Thomas. And what, what, what? Pat Cooper. I think Pat Cooper, the great Italian comedian. Remember? Pat Cooper would come up and warm up for Frank Sinatra shows. He was erratic. He was eccentric. He was sharp. He was witty. He was Robin Williams before there was Robin Williams. Remember how fast, how quick Pat Cooper was. What became of Pat Cooper? The last time I saw Pat Cooper, he was on the West 4th Street train station, the A train station. And he was trying out his lines on the people on the subways. That was like his focus group. And the guy was sharp. I think he moved to Vegas. Everybody moves to Vegas. Remember, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You remember getting that first vinyl of Pat Cooper, that first comedy album, laughing your tuchus off with all those belly laughs, particularly those of you who are of the Italian, uh, Italian-American tradition. He was like a competitor of all the Borscht Belt uh, comedians uh, who were the Jews. And then all of a sudden, it was Pat Cooper. And you say, wow, man, this guy is the bomb. 
And I remember, I remember it was uh, Joey Gallo who uh, was the actual um, silent owner of the Copacabana after Frank Costello. I know you'd all like to believe that it was a guy named Jules Padel. He was the front, but it was really the mob that always ran the Copa. And remember, Joey Gallo was his 43rd birthday. He had just been released from Elmira upstate for a series of crimes and used to get the New York Times delivered to him in his jail cell in Elmira. And when he was released, oh, he was the uh, the peach pit of uh, the Great White Way Broadway. They loved him coming to all the plays. He would recite poetry. He was arm in arm with Jerry Orbach. Remember Jerry Orbach, a law and order, Jerry Orbach and his wife. They celebrated his 43rd birthday at the Copacabana, which he silently owned. And uh, who was it that entertained uh, Joey Gallo on the very night he ended up getting shot and killed later on that night at Umberto's in Little Italy? Who entertained? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the Copa also set up, if I remember correctly, a second location, very similar to how the New York Yankees, remember, They would play at Yankee Stadium, and then they had their spring training headquarters uh, at a location that is not Tampa, not Tampa as it is now. The second Copacabana opened up in that very city. What city was that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tommy, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Hey, Curtis. Um... Was it Tony Bennett that was on those signs out in Las Vegas that you were talking about? No, no, not the Astoria mm-hmm. kid. And uh, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, I, I, I really, you know, he's fallen from grace with me, Tony Bennett. Even though he's a survivor, mm-hmm. nobody thought he'd live this long. But, I know, but, <laughs> but when he hooked up with Lady Gaga, you know, thunder thighs. That was it for me. That was right, it. I got me. a couple other things for you. I'm sorry. Yesterday you were talking about the Irish. Um, I was wondering. I don't know who you were talking about. Maybe I remember as a kid they talk about. I, I grew up in the Irish Riviera over there in Breezy Point, and they always talked about the IRA. Well, that's and funny. I was wondering. Yeah, it was not Jerry Adams, but maybe Bob Henderson, or maybe even. Jimmy McMahon, I remember those names for some reason. Oh, look, those look, guys? look, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. He used to do quite a bit of fundraising out there in the Irish mm-hmm. Riviera and the, the Rockaways and in Breezy Point for the IRA, as they did in Westerly, in Staten Island, along Forest Avenue, up in Norwood, in the Bronx, all the Irish areas, up in uh, Washington Heights, Inwood. They would have massive fundraisers uh, for the IRA. Mm-hmm. We're at war. we declared war against the British crown. Uh, well, and was, against, yes. I wasn't against the war, but I am against the IRA because they're terrorists. They kill children, and that bothered me. It always bothered me. No, 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 understood, understood. And it was interesting uh, that Rudy Giuliani, who was a U.S. attorney for the Southern District, had to prosecute uh, one of those IRA gunmen who was considered the ultimate stud. He was like a GQ guy. Uh, Joe Henderson? In, uh, say that again, please. Joe Henderson? No, I don't think that was him. You may be correct. All I know is he had one female attorney. Uh, he ended up fornicating and copulating with her in jail. <laughs> then wow. they assigned him another female, and the same thing happened. 
And so they basically said that female attorneys could not represent this guy. And it was Margaret Thatcher who wanted this guy because he was accused of shooting a British police officer. Oh, but he was the uh, Irish um, Blarney Stone Stallion. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he had quite the schlong. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's what these yeah, uh, female attorneys said who kept representing him and servicing him and then being removed from the case. But, no, you ask a very good question, Tommy. We're going to put it out there. Who was the IRA killer of a British police officer who was housed in the MCC in downtown Manhattan, prosecuted by Rudy Giuliani, U.S. attorney for the Southern District, because Maggie Thatcher, Maggie Thatcher made it personal. She called up Ronald Reagan, who was president then, said, I want that guy. Put in jail, triple life without parole, or send them back to the U.K., and we'll hang them in the Tower of London. Who was that person? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Come to the right man because I'm the candy man. Who can take a sunrise? Let me let me think back. It was like 1964, and Sammy Davis Jr., member of the Rat Pack, shattered all attendance records at the Copacabana. Now, when uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was singing about candy. What kind of candy was he talking about, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And speaking of the Copacabana, it is now reopened for, what, the ninth, 10th, 12th time? I don't know. I remember when it reopened in Times Square. I'm trying to remember when that was. It was about 2020. And... With its uh, reopening, uh, it was Willie Calon. Willie Calon from the Bronx, from Westchester now. It's like a sheriff's deputy. Great member of the Fania All-Stars. Hector Lavoie! Condita! Don't get me started with the Fania All-Stars. But the point was, they reopened the Copacabana in Times Square. I remember when it was on West 47th Street, opposite the Guardian Angel headquarters which we had uh, right above a triple X-rated uh, porno parlor, right there on West 46th Street. I remember we'd have to go running over to the Copacabana in the wee hours of the morning and break up all kinds of fights and disputes outside. In fact, I saw the Donald there one time leaving, Donald Trump. Oh, there were a lot of Trendoids, Freakasoids, Jet Setters who would frequent the Copacabana. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Carlo in Scottsdale, Arizona. Your turn uh, to be heard here at WABC, Carlo. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. The uh, Yankees have played in Fort Lauderdale before they've been before they were moved to Tampa. They played in Fort Lauderdale. 
That is correct. That second location uh, for the Copacabana uh, was opened up in Fort Lauderdale, I believe, in 2012, but it only lasted about a year. It just, uh, it just... Yeah, the reason why I tell you that because I, I, I was there. I went there, and I went to the Copacabana that's on right near the Pierre Hotel off of Fifth and uh, and uh, I think it was right by the near the Plaza Hotel. But the, the Pierre Hotel was on the corner, and the Copacabana was down that block. I used to drive a limousine part-time, and uh, I used to make a lot of runs to the Copacabana. People, oh, take me somewhere. I want to go dancing. I want to go dancing. And I said, all right. And I knew the guys up at the front door and take and drive up with the limousine. I say, hey, look, I got some people that want to go in. I don't need them to wait on this line. And we get them in. And usually I would get them in and boom. Same thing with the Palladium on the, over there by 14th Street, by Tad State on 14th Street. You remember them? Oh, yeah. Now, Carlo, are you speaking on the speakerphone? I am on a, I'm on a, excuse me, I'm on an Alexa uh, device because my phone, my cell phone is broken. So I have all my numbers. All I have to say, whatever, and I end up thinking calls it. So that's why you hear me uh, different from being on a cell phone, because I'm not on a cell phone. Well, no, I, I, I know, Carlo, but uh, you're coming in a little a little fritzy. Now, is it because he doesn't want his cell phone being listened to? Could Carlo be in the Witness Protection Program in Scottsdale, Arizona? Inquiring minds want to know. Boy, he sure knew a lot about the Copacabana and the Palladium, huh? I'm just suggesting that my cell phone is broken. Hmm. Hmm. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Who can forget? Broke my heart, although, gee, I was only, what, three years old at the time? The Copa was the place to go. Who was the performer on the stage of the Caboco? The Copacabana. And all of a sudden, as they traditionally would do, the Yankees would be in attendance. There was Whitey Ford from Whitestone, half in the bag. Mickey Mantle, my hero, who was always in the bag. There was Hank Bauer. There was Yogi Berra. Oh, that's Rudy's favorite, number eight, Yogi Berra. And it was uh, Billy Martin, who everyone thought was Italian, but he wasn't. He was Portuguese from the Bay Area. And then all of a sudden, a fight broke out. And a deli owner from the Bronx had a concussion and a broken jaw. What Yankee was responsible for that Bronx deli owner having a concussion and a broken jaw? And who got blamed for it? And who didn't? Oh, and who was performing on the stage at that time? Ah, yeah, these are real brain busters. This is the trifecta, three questions. So this will definitely entitle you. To a courtesy with booby price, don't ask, don't tell. I'm so cheap, I throw nickels around like manhole covers. Uh, If you actually get all three of those answers, I will take some of my precious belly button lint. I will put it in an envelope, hermetically seal it with a lot of scotch tape, and then send it to you COD, cash on delivery, if you don't know what that means. So you'll pay for its arrival. 
But you'll be the only person that can say, I have Curtis Lewis belly button lint. And if all of a sudden one of these guys I'm mentioning decides to whack me, just think of how valuable that'll be on eBay, right? I got Curtis Lewis belly button lint. I'm not even room temperature yet, and you'll be making thousands and thousands of dollars. See what a swell guy I am. You pay for it cash on delivery. Who knows? Who knows how much money you can end up uh, making in windfall profits? 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Julie all the way in Beantown, Boston. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Julie. Oh, there's no Julie. She's missing in action. She's disappeared. Oh, that's because uh, I couldn't believe this. What a gavon. What a gavon our new mayor is, Eric Adams. Um, a reporter was going in a city hall the other day. He had a baseball cap on. It had the B on it. And Eric Adams, uh, truly not a baseball fan, you could tell, although he pretends to be, said, hey, this is New York City. You don't wear Boston Red Sox caps around here. It's like, Really? It was a Brooklyn Dodger vintage cap. Guys wear that in Brooklyn all the time. The guy was Brooklyn Borough president, right, eight years. He was state senator, I think, about eight years. And he doesn't know what a Brooklyn Dodger vintage cap looks like. The brothers wear Brooklyn Dodger vintage caps. All the white hipster millennials who live in Brooklyn wear Brooklyn Dodger vintage caps. And Eric Adams did not know there was a Brooklyn Dodger vintage cap. By the way, try going up into Washington Heights, Eric Adams, and telling all the Dominicans, hey, poppy's no good. Take off those uh, Boston Red Sox hats. Uh, that'll start a riot. God, I wish he would just stick to things that he knows. He knows nothing about baseball. You could tell. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let's go to Eric, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Eric. Hey, Curtis, I want to congratulate you on the, you know, it's kind of, you got a name because it's your own thing now. It's like, if you kept, if it was the same, it would be like, it would be like the Hulk walking around in torn jeans. You know, you got to, you got to, I'd say my mother had an idea too. How about, how about uh, this side of 4 a.m.? <laughs> or, uh, the no, other no, 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 hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold, hold on, <laughs> yeah. Eric. Let's restart yeah. this conversation. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're getting nervous, I can see. You're schwitzing there <laughs> while you're sitting there talking to me. You're congratulating me for what? Well, well, because they, uh, they recognize that, uh, you know, it should be named something else because you're making your own thing. It can't possibly fit into the the same title of the show. You know what I'm saying? What you, wait, wait, wait. I think it's, wait, wait, I think wait, it's Eric, an occasion. Eric, Eric, are you throwing shade on my face, Eric? Come on. No. You think oh, I'm no, a... not at all. Not at all. No, no, no. No. Oh, Frank. I mean, Frank. <laughs> oh, gosh. You get nervous. Huh? You're a little nervous. Huh? All right. <laughs> You ought to be. I, I, <laughs> yeah, you better be nervous hey, talking some, to me. Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you're a celebrity. Hey, no, no. no hey, 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 don't stroke me here. Don't pull my chain and chew my starch <laughs> no, BBDs. We, my mother my mother loves you now. She didn't she didn't get she didn't get you, you know, and then slowly, slowly but surely. That's you oh. her, her, her favorite show. Oh, wait, yeah. a second, wait a second. So at first, when your mother was listening to me, she didn't get the shtick, right? She didn't understand. Right, right. I'm like, no, you don't get it. Yeah, it's been, and then it was slowly. It, it, it grew on her like mold grows on a wall, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you meant to say, Eric, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're really schwitzing <laughs> now, pal. <laughs> That's always good to talk to you. But wait, remember the little cat on the Godfather set? 
Yeah, yeah, they look at it. Boy, you're really jumping yeah. all over the place. A little attention no, deficit disorder, uh, Eric? Well, no, I had to call to ask uh, your wife a question about my cat, but I couldn't get through uh, I, I couldn't get through the last Sunday. So. Yeah, you know, Eric, but, isn't um, that amazing? That is the most uh, called and listened to segment of the 20 hours that I do on the weekends, the animal welfare segment. I'm I'm, I'm not surprised. No, no, because uh, she sounds like she knows her stuff, like not just about cats. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, what are you trying to say? I don't know my stuff? <laughs> No, God, of course not. No way. All no. right, well, let's clarify that. Because you, you're, you're like comparing my wife, Nancy. Oh, she she sounds like she knows her stuff. Like maybe well, I you, don't know my stuff. Well, well, you're not doing an hour alone. But, you know, we felt really, really bad when the cat died. We expressed our, we, we gave you our sympathy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bet you did. Way. I'll very, bet you did. Very sympathetic. Yeah. A lot of empathy. But they had to shoot that, they had to reshoot that scene for sound, for sound because that cat was purring so loud. You know? Oh, oh a, little, yeah. a little trivia there. Was I asking for Godfather trivia? Notice how nervous he was, right? He, he, he congratulate you. Congratulate me. For what? They took an hour away from me this morning. At 2 o'clock, that's it. There's no Curtis Lee at 2 o'clock. It's eliminated. Because of Frank Morano talking about how I had put my hand in the frosted mini-wheats in the kitchen and instead of grinding it out from the bottom, put my paws on it, ratted me out, and then they actually saw the video and saw I was guilty and told me I better never do that again or else. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Ah, the Copa. And who was the... Uh, the front man for the mob who owned the Copa for many, many years. He pretended like he was the owner of the Copa Cabana, but he really wasn't. Who was that guy? And I remember uh, it was a story. I don't know if this was true, but it makes sense. That in 1940, then Harry Belafonte, who was serving in the United States Navy, fighting uh, for America, I don't know if he served in the Pacific or the Atlantic, had shown up with a date and was turned away at the Copacabana because the front man said, we don't allow blacks in our club. And ironically, in 1950, he returned to headline the show as the lead singer at the Copa for an entire week. Turned away in 1940. While serving in the United States Navy, I'm no Harry Belafonte fan. Dedeo, 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 dedeo. No fan of his. But oh boy, imagine to be turned away because the color of your complexion was not accepted, was scorned. Showed up with a date. Imagine how humiliating it was for him and his date to be told, no blacks in our club here at the Copa only to return in 1950 to headline as the headline actor for a full week and pack the house. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if uh, we can, to David, who's calling all the way from the Cornstalk State of Indiana. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis. Uh, we got a suggestion to rename the show since the Mama Luke is giving you trouble. 
Um, it's one of it's a phrase that you use, and the name for the show we thought would be good is "It's Your Turn to Be Heard" with Curtis Sliwa. Oh, that's very good, David. Now you said "we" as opposed to "I." Uh, who, yes. Who is uh, participating in this uh, uh, brain-busting uh, scenario of yours to come up with this uh, new name potentially for the show? that I have to have a name for by next Friday. Who, who assisted you in this? Well, it, I can't take any credit for it. My wife is the one. She's a big fan of your show. And she's the one that came up with the phrase, I'm merely delivering it. This is excellent that you would defer to your wife, give her where credit is due. By the way, which part of Indiana do you live in, David? It is uh, the north central part of Indiana. We're about two miles from the Michigan state line. Oh, yes. And have you ever been to uh, the beach up there, the Indiana Beach? Uh, Not in a long time, but yes, I have been there. Now, could you, for our listeners who sometimes complain about their beaches along the Jersey Shore or Coney Island or Brighton Beach or Manhattan Beach or those beaches uh, along the South Shore of Long Island or even Long Island uh, Sound, the North Shore, could you describe what the beach in Indiana is like? Well, I got to be totally honest with you. When we go to the beach, we tend to go to the ones in New Buffalo, Michigan. Aha! Uh-huh. You don't even go to the Indiana Beach. No, no, no. And I think a few years ago when they were having sinkholes, I think like a little boy disappeared in one. And uh, that pretty much ended any ideas of heading out that way anymore. Dave, I want you to know that as I was barnstorming through Indiana, watching row after row of corn grow, I said, a man's man must stop at Indiana Beach, must see what kind of sand dunes they had. And you're right, they had sump holes. It looked like quicksand to me. But I, with my expertise having survived uh, certain calamities in Coney Island, was able to negotiate that. And I was able to actually spend a few hours at Indiana Beach and live to tell about it. <laughs> oh, we also, um, we, again, I say we, but it was really she. She also had an idea for a T-shirt. And the idea was just a slight turn on the phrase, it's my turn to be heard with Curtis Sliwa. Ooh, wow. <laughs> wow, you know, your wife is so good with this. Uh, she should yeah. actually do what Barry Manilow uh, de- uh, devoted most of his career to. You know, he was a singer, obviously, with a lot of hits, but he did jingles. I mean, where he really yeah. made his money was for so many jingles that you hear associated with products that were the result of his creative endeavors. Wow, you you could start your own business out there, David. Yeah, it's a possibility. It's kind of funny. We have talked about that thing. We've... Uh... We both kind of been involved in music out here. David, so. this is what I suggest. This is what I suggest. Uh, you've seen on CNBC the program Shark Tank. Um, I'm aware of it. I haven't really watched it. Well, they have Mark Cuban, uh, the billionaire owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He's there, and they have a number of other entrepreneurs and uh, men and women like you and your wife come before them, looking like plain Janes and uh, plain Jacks, you know, from the Middle West desperate because you come up with an idea and a concept and you're hoping that one of the four up there is usually four gobbles and one female. Barbara Corcoran has been there. 
and you're trying to convince them to invest in your your business, your idea, your concept, your trademark, your copyright, in return, let's say uh, they'll get a third back. I believe, David, that you and your wife, by claiming that you have the seal of approval of Curtis Lewa himself, the iconic figure of New York City, might have a chance on Shark Tank to, like, really blow this up big time, David. Well, I'll tell you what, Curtis, it's, it's an honor to hear you say that to us. Well, look, look, I trace my, my roots as much as people say, wow, this guy is a, a real New Yorker. I spent time, a lot of time in the Midwest because my father was from the Midwest. I had a lot of relatives in Indiana, a lot of relatives up in Wisconsin, all Polish, and mm. all of whom uh, had farms, dairy farms in Wisconsin, cornfields in Indiana. So I am well aware, and without the heartland of America generating ideas and concepts for us, where would we be in this country of ours, David? Well, I'll have you know that my wife's family is also of Polish heritage. Oh, see? There's synergy already. There's synergy already. <laughs> David, uh, I want you to hold on the line. Uh, sure. Because, uh, what is it? I keep forgetting the name of our phone screener. Is that Carlito? <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> What's her name? Oh, Camelia. I keep forgetting. Carlito, Camelia, Carmen. I don't know. But uh, please take David and his wife's information because we want to give you two tchotchkes. We want to give you two, <laughs> two products because we believe in merch. If you've heard a lot of our hosts and hostesses here, they're constantly promoting merch. But that idea of yours about a T-shirt might actually tickle the ears of our promotional director himself. Wow. Tell him it could be a campaign slogan. Sam wife also said it could be a campaign slogan for you if you yeah. run for office again. My turn to be heard. My turn to be heard. My, oh. The, the ideas are flowing. They're cascading. You're like, it's a Mount Vesuvius of, of brand new ideas. And notice, it comes from the heartland like it always does in America. We on the East Coast, those on the West Coast, the Freakazoids in California, they always take credit for it. But the true ideas, the glue of the nation comes from the heartland of America. Curtis, there's more than corn in Indiana. Oh, I know that. There's stuff that uh, uh, Mellencamp was smoking out there and wasn't corn silks, I can tell you that. That's right. I, I salute you, David. And what is the name of your wife? Cindy. Katie? Cindy. Sadie. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cindy. Wow. Cynthia. Oh, Shady? <laughs> Close enough. Okay. Uh, I'll practice. Uh, practice makes perfect, but I salute you because you are the grist... You are the heart and soul of America, as my father taught me all the time. He said, you see these people here in New York City? Mm, They're not real. You want real people, you come to the Midwest. You come to the Midwest. I mean, look, when the uh, Allies were storming their way through Europe and they were giving chewing gum, right? The first piece of gum that the children ever had in Europe it was Wrigley's gum, right? Right from Chicago. Right from Chi-Town. That's right. It wasn't any product from New York City or California. No, no, no. It's good old-fashioned Wrigley's chewing gum right there from uh, the north shore of Chi-Town, Chicago. That's right. 
Anyway, David, uh, and, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave this for further uh, dissemination in the future as I actually learn to pronounce the uh, name of your wife. These are two geniuses. They are creative. I have suggested that they appear on Shark Tank. You know, they always get people from the Midwest to appear on Shark Tank. They like to dangle and prangle with them. But sometimes these ideas fulminate to a point where these entrepreneurs with, with no money, but just an idea and a concept, can live the capitalist dream. I, I wish you the best of luck, both David and Shirley, uh, Cindy. Uh, okay. There you go, Cindy. Oh, I got it. I got yep. it. I'm a little impaired tonight. Thank you. Thank you uh, for uh, listening from the heartland of America because, you know, we have people listening from all over the world. One of the reasons I love doing uh, overnights, I can't call this program a name yet. We're still in search of an identity because we've been stripped of our identity by a rat. So uh, we're taking all potential uh, suggestions as to what this program should be called. Uh, We are now moving towards the hour that will be stripped from me. Bad boy Curtis uh, put his hands on the frosted mini weeds. So now I got to pay a price uh, about that, losing one hour of broadcasting to all of you. And trust me, it's painful. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. their anthem. You know, it used to be, uh, used to be you would sing uh, Danny Boy. That was the uh, anthem that we would sing uh, all during the St. Patrick's uh, parades and celebrations all through the month of March. Except I don't know how many of you recognize that in singing that song, you almost all Roman Catholics, Danny Boy was a Irish Protestant song. Not a Catholic song, a Protestant song. So what does that say about all you Roman Catholics who devoted your life to singing Danny Boy as you approached the St. Patrick's Day festivities and had your corned beef and cabbage? And then I would bust your bubble and I would go to communion breakfast. And I even said to the Josephite nuns uh, who taught me at St. Matthew's, the Irish nuns, who told me that it was St. Brendan the Navigator who discovered the new world. 
and not Christopher Columbus. Hey, I say, hey, Sister Ruth, if I go back to Canarsie and I tell my Supreme Cuisine cousins that it's St. Brendan's the Navigator, they're going to give me a beatdown. Uh, well, either get a beatdown from them or a beatdown from me. I'll hit you so hard your mother will feel the vibrations with my three-foot ruler. So I put down St. Brendan's the Navigator because I wanted to pass the history test. But by the way, uh, Izzy, our board operator, and uh, Carmela, Carlito, uh, I don't know, our phone screener, uh, got so nervous at the fact that we lost an hour due to my own negligence uh, and my own violation of the rules and regulations here at WABC, cold busted by the rat Frank Morano, who uh, then uh, through algorithms, HR caught me uh, putting my big fat paws on the uh, frosted mini wheats provided to us. Uh, by uh, Marco Katsimatidis said, we have lost the 2 o'clock hour. Uh, we will have one less hour. And Izzy got all nervous, uh, and he decided to dump David and Cindy, uh, the future winners of Shark Tank uh, in Indiana, the heartland of America. So, David, uh, don't take it as a, a snub. Cindy, don't take it as a snub. It's just uh, Izzy here who is looking for job security and say, oh, my God, they took an hour from us. Pretty soon they'll be taking all your hours at the rate you go, Curtis, because he's seen me back in that kitchen. Our numbers one 800 So please call back, David and Cindy, because you are entitled to a Curtis Lee with booby price. Don't ask, don't tell. Because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. But, hey, who knows? It'll be a, it'll be a memento. Uh, there are quite a few people in Indiana who know who I am. There's, oh, wow. Yeah, the Red Beret guy from New York. Yeah, I remember him in Indiana Beach and in Michigan City Prison right on the Indiana-Michigan line. Yeah, longest wall prison in America. Isn't it fascinating to know that I've been to all these places? I have all little uh, tchotchke tales to relate to all of you, and I love talking to people all over America, not just within our tri-state area. So, David and Cindy, uh, don't take it as a snub. And, Izzy, uh, if they do call back, uh, you better do your mea copas, your mea copas, your mea maxima copas. A hundred Hail Marys, uh, 20 Our Fathers, uh, Stations of the Cross, and you'll have to go to a novena on Monday night and try to light the candles because they're now electric. So, uh, you figure that out. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But as I was roaming through Hell's Kitchen earlier tonight, in what was supposed to be a snow bomb, a nor'easter, fool me once, fool me twice, these experts know nothing about nothing. All they know what to do is to put fear, fright, hysteria, and hype into all of you. But I was right there on the corner of 48th and 49th off 9th Avenue, the former headquarters of the Westies. Yeah, they were bad Irish boys. Let me tell you something. They had some run-ins. Not a lot of them like with the Gambitos, but enough. They were responsible at least for 100 murders, at least 100 murders, maybe more. And with Roy DeMeo, they hooked up, uh, and they were like a murder machine. Between the Gambinos, Roy DeMeo, the guys I grew up with, the Testa brothers, uh, Patty and Joey Testa and Anthony Santa and uh, Chris Rosenberg, the madman. By the way, you know, uh, Sid Rosenberg is actually going to be uh, appearing in a movie about the Gemini Lounge. Yeah, yeah. Gemini Lounge, that was the one in Brooklyn with all the crazy guys I grew up with who were responsible probably for 100 murders, maybe more. 
and they would Khashoggi their victims. That's right. They would chop them up, put them in body bags. Next thing you know, Spring Creek, the dump that is now Shirley Chisholm State Park there along the Bell Parkway. They did the same thing at the 596 Club that the Westies ran. It's now a karaoke bar. <laughs> I told you the one time I went in there, I asked the bartender, what the hell is that in the back behind you? They had a head in formaldehyde, right? A head of one of their victims in formaldehyde. They wanted everybody going into that Westies bar to see if you messed with the Westies, you could end up in formaldehyde. Hey, I get it. I get it. You don't have to educate me. I grew up in that kind of area. Not with the Irish, like here in uh, Hell's Kitchen. But the Westies, it's interesting because uh, it was very interesting. Tony Orlando without Dawn's show tonight as he was interviewing Gene Cornish, one of the great members of the Rascals. And Gene was talking about how they had come by WABC, the iconic station at that time, where if you were able to get a stack of wax played by especially Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey, our own Cousin Brucey, yeah, that could immediately be a hit because WABC was the number one record station in the nation, top 40. So he told a story to Tony Orlando. I was fascinated. Gene Cornish said, we got all uh, dressed up. We rented a stretch limo. We went by WABC and we kidnapped Cousin Brucey and took him to our performance. Obviously, it had been prearranged. But, you know, sometimes the DJs, you know, they didn't want to go to the club for whatever reason. And so you had to sort of assuage them. You had to encourage them. Come on, come on. And Cousin Brucey went to one of their performances and decided to play their stack of wax. And it was their first hit record. And it propelled them to the greatness uh, of where they eventually went, the Rascals. But that was a friendly kidnapping. Friendly, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Gaudis and Gambinos uh, did not try a friendly kidnapping with me. No, they shot me five times in hollow point bullets and wanted to bleed me out. But the Irish, especially the Westies, they had they had something that they called, I'm trying to remember the exact terminology, the snatch racket. So what they would do, Mickey Spillane, who was the guy who was in charge at the time, like he was uh, Mickey Spillane the good and Mickey Spillane the bad. Mickey Spillane the good, if you were in the hospital, uh, he would make sure that he sent flowers to you, including if you were one of the Westy victims, you know, and they bent your leg and stuff it in your pocket. They'd always send a nice floral arrangement. If they intended on killing you, deathbed lilies, but at least they'd send you a bouquet of flowers. And they naturally do what all mobsters have done from the beginning of time. When Thanksgiving would come around, they'd be giving out turkeys. I mean, that was a scene, remember, from New Jack City? Remember how they were giving out turkeys, even though they were pumping death and destruction into the community by selling crack cocaine? It didn't matter. Uh, All bad guys, all mobsters, they give out turkeys on Thanksgiving. And that's what Mickey Spillane did. But his uh, way of making money for the Westies, because he wanted no part of the Italians, no part, uh, was gambling, bookmaking, loan sharking, and what they called the snatch racket, which means Mickey Spillane and his goons would show up outside of your business, and if you didn't pay them right there, they would snatch you up and then hold you for a ransom. 
And if your family or your business associates uh, didn't come up with the coin, you disappeared. Gone. Goodbye. Who knows where you ended up? So when I was listening to, uh, uh, excuse me, Tony Orlando without Dawn talking to Gene Cornish uh, of the Rascals, and they were talking about the friendly kidnapping of Cousin Brucey so he could come to the club, hear the Rascals, and then be encouraged to play their record, which went uh, number one. Blew up. That's a whole different kind of kidnapping than I was used to. And especially what Mickey Spillane of the Westies would do that brought him to power, which was the snatch racket. So now Mickey Spillane is the big marketer, the Irish guy over in Hell's Kitchen. He controls the docks. He controls Jacob Javits Convention Center. He controls New York Coliseum. It used to be there, 59 Columbus Circle. It's no longer there. And Madison Square Garden. He controlled a lot. But he didn't want any of the Italian mobsters choking on their lobsters involved. And Vinny the chin giganti said, hey, man, that Jacob Javits Center, there's a lot of money there, man. We got to get our beak into the trough. I mean, this guy, Mickey Spillane, he controlled the union jobs, labor racketeering, the whole nine yards. And it just reminded me. It reminded me. Of the crazy 18-year-old kid at that time, Jimmy Coonan, 18 years old. And he got mad at Mickey Spillane because Mickey Spillane had kidnapped his daddy, pistol-whipped him, and, like, took all of his money. So the 18-year-old Jimmy Coonan decides, I'm going to flip the script on him. He's laying up on a tenement roof in Hell's Kitchen. He's got a machine gun. He's 18 years old. Here's Mickey Spillane coming out there on 48th Street off 9th Avenue with all of his goons. And the 18-year-old kid opens up the machine gun and starts shooting down in the street. And here's Mickey Spillane going, I got to get out of here. This kid is nuts. And so he decides, you know what? This kid is too cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So Spillane decides, I'm going to move to Woodside, Queens, with the other Irish there. And the crazy guy, Coonan, after doing a murder rap brief, uh, ends up getting out of prison and running the Westies on in Hell's Kitchen. And his hitman was Mickey Featherstone. And Mickey Featherstone, oh, Mickey Featherstone was never guilty. Uh, you know, he go before a jury, not guilty. Uh, Coonan and Featherstone killed his bartender, not guilty, because they would intimidate your jury and they would fix the juries at that time. So they were impervious. So now years and years later, a number of things happened. Roy DeMeo, who had been the Gambino contact, he gets shot in the back of the head, stuffed in the back of a car, right in Canarsie with a parakeet in his mouth by the testers who want to send out a message that, hey, uh, you're a parakeet, right? You're a rat, okay? So DeMeo's gone. Castellano is gone because Gotti, and remember, Sammy the Bull Gravano, this is before he ate the Parmesan cheese uh, and testified against uh, Gotti, uh, is now in charge of the Gambinos, and so he wants to work with Coonan, crazy guy Coonan, because they're two crazy guys and they're getting along. So he says, you know something, I need some uh, layers of uh, separation here between the Westies run by a crazy man Coonan and me, head of the Gambino crime family, so I'm going to take the German guy, the Kraut, the Hun, 
Joey Watts, who always wanted to be a made man, but he wasn't an Italian, so he couldn't be a made man. But he was a kukalamunga, too. So you had Kunin, who was crazy. Joey Watts, right, who was the uh, German guy. He's crazy. And Gotti Sr., he's crazy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. But I'm sure some of you out there know exactly what I'm talking about, and you can fill in anything that I was missing in terms of my experiences uh, in having some run-ins with the Westies, not as many as I did with the Gambinos. But especially, I know some of you Irish guys out there used to go to the five five ninety six club and knock back that Jameson. Don't lie to me. I know you saw that head in that formaldehyde bottle just like I did. And for many of you, you probably toasted them and had another shot at Jameson. I was in the 70s. What the hell was going on at that 596 club? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Cat, who's calling from, uh, where is that, Ipswich, Massachusetts? Is that near Salem, where they burn the witches, uh, Cat? Yeah, it's like near Salem and Gloucester. It's like, it's the first period, it's the it's the, the first place for all, all the old houses in Massachusetts. And let, let me ask you a question, Cat. Um, in your lineage, if I had to go to Salt Lake City and I had to do a DNA test uh, on you at the Mormons, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, would they somehow trace your lineage to the witches of Salem, Massachusetts? No, thank God, no. No, okay. but I, I want to make sure. Because you're talking about all the stuff with the, the Italians in New York City and all the crime and the Irish. And I'm like, yeah, that's about my, that's like me, Irish and Italian. Wow, so you were a combination. Irish on one side, was that your mother's side or your father's side? My father is like 100% Irish. Okay, and your mother, 100% Italian? Yeah, my mom, no, she was half and half. So she was half Irish and half Italian. But I don't really tell people that because, you know, I kind of like work it. You know, you know, there's a thing in, in Massachusetts where, you know, they get into the, all this thing. And I'm like, well, I'm half, an, I'm half Irish and Italian. So I work it to my advantage. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Now, Kat, where did they meet? Did they meet up in Boston? Yes, they they grew up in Medford. Oh, sure. You know, sure, you know while on hold, I said, if I tell Curtis Medford, because you seem to know a lot about a lot of different places. Yeah, well, you Medford, see, uh, I'll give you an idea, Kat. I spent a lot of time in Boston organizing the it, Guardian it, Angels. It's like basically like five miles north of Boston. Yeah, but uh, when I was in Boston, uh, Southie, all the Irish, yeah, they even... Oh, uh, my God. Well, that's the other thing, like Southie. So you got Charlestown, Southie, East Cambridge, Southie. I have I have actually never been to Southie, and I've barely been to Charlestown because my family, when my father's side, when they came over from Ireland, they came over and they they were ended up in East Boston and oh, excuse me, East uh, Cambridge, and they like. We were never in Southie or or Charlestown. Well, Kat, you, you don't want to miss it. You, you don't want to miss it. You want to go to the uh, annual St. Patrick's Day Parade in Southie. It is boisterous. It is raucous. I, it is no, out of control. I don't, like, I don't like that whole. I hate that whole thing. I don't like the whole thing with you know with the um, the state house. They that they do their breakfast. It's ridiculous. 
you know, they do this breakfast thing with St. Patrick's Day, and they they kind of do like a like a roast. Yeah, and then they had the Irish coffee early, and so by oh my god, it's ridiculous. By oh the af- by the afternoon, they're half in the bag. And have you been to North uh, Boston where all the Italians live? Well, of course, because you know part of my family's Italian. The North End is awesome, and. You know, generally speaking, you know, the the reason why I called is because you were talking about cocaine earlier in the night. And I went to upstate New York for school. There was like coke, like in the 80s. There was coke everywhere. And I looked at them. I'm like, these kids are crazy. I, I was like, I just was like so glad that I went to that school. And I'm like, these kids, they're like rich kids. They didn't have anything else to do. And they're like, oh, we're going to have coke. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Good luck to you. Yeah, well, look at we the headlines today. You had uh, some of the uh, students at West Point uh, who were doing cocaine that was laced with fentanyl. They got very that sick was, down in Florida. Uh, that was the other thing. Like, I was out tonight, to, you know, this afternoon. I was out locally because now I work from home, which is kind of weird, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, so I was out with people, and that came up, and I was like, I don't understand this. It's like, you know what? I am like, I was never about. I was never about drugs. I never liked drugs. I never liked pills. I was like, I like booze and I like tobacco, like good tobacco. But I haven't, you know, I didn't really smoke that much. But that whole thing with the, the I thought that was awful. Well, that we're going to be we're going to be talking about that momentarily because during the eighties, the cocaine was flooding. In fact, this. Uh, this uh, sort of, uh, what can I call it? The anthem to the Irish. House of Pain. Jump around. You know, when I first heard this, it was in Hell's Kitchen over in the Westies area. It was actually in Southie in Boston. Where, if you go to the projects in Southie, guess who live in the projects in Southie? White Irish guys with hoodies. And they eyeball you and they fornicate you and mad dog you and talk about how they're going to kill you and slice you and dice you. And by the way, as we're talking about that in uh, Southie and Chelsea, not Chelsea in lower Manhattan. No, no, no. We're talking Chelsea outside of Boston. Uh, Who was public enemy number one at the same time that Osama bin Laden had attacked America on 9-11? Shit. The position of public enemy number one. If you went to your nearby post office, you not only saw the fatch uh, of uh, Osama bin Laden of Al-Qaeda, you also saw this infamous criminal who was public enemy number one and considered a god in Southie. Oh, I got to tell you, a lot of these Irish guys would surround me. Hey, Curtis, you don't, you don't like this guy. And I hate him. I loathe him. I despise him. He said, uh, you, don't, you don't really like gangsters at all, right? I said, no, Federal Hill. You want to go to Providence with the Italians there? Huh? I'm always getting into these beefs, these spats. But here it is. The Irish guys, they love this song. This became their anthem. Even now, so many years later, House of Pain. And by the way, none of you Irish have called in and explained to me why for all the years you were singing Danny Boy and it was a Protestant song, not a Roman Catholic song. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
<laughs> Who was public enemy number one at the time that Osama bin Laden shared? Shared equal status with him. Boy, it's a real brain buster. And trust me, unlike what Frank Morano says, oh, trivia doesn't lead to any further conversation on this show. It always does. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And we are in a constant search now, as we're running out of time now that they've snatched an hour from me at 2 o'clock, 2 to 3 today, because I was a bad boy here at WABC, putting my mitts on the frosted mini wheats, caught on camera, H.R. Cole busted me after Frank Morano, that rat, ratted me out. one 800 let's go to Giuseppe, patiently waiting on the line in Clinton, New Jersey, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, Curtis. Uh, yeah, I got a great name for the show. I've been thinking about this for a while, and I, I, I think it's short, sweet, and to the point. Sliwa after sunset. Hmm. And that's not bad. Yeah, the, the, the shorter, the sweeter, the better. Because, you know, when it's uh, multisyllabic or there are too many letters, uh, it's difficult for me to pronounce it to begin with and difficult to, to fit on merch uh, stationary uh, and signage. So that can you repeat that one more time? Sliwa after sunset. Ah, I like that. I like it's that. Got a nice ring to it. Yeah. And how long? How long did you spend uh, of your life uh, that you'll never get back uh, thinking about that one? About four minutes. Well, okay. About so that's four minutes. Four minutes I'm, a, of, I'm a marketing guru. Oh, hey, hey, you, you too <laughs> could go with Shark Tank, right? Well, you know what? I, I, I do share some of the attributes of the gentleman from Iowa. So I don't know if you're familiar with Clinton, Annandale, New Jersey. I don't know if you know where that is. We're yes. kind of the oh, yeah. redheaded stepchild of New Jersey. Nobody knows where we're at out yeah, there. Yeah, well, you know, so a, lot of places, and... a lot of places in New Jersey like that. You're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, I'm sure we have some of the boys out here in the cornfields that uh, – yeah, they were. They made good. They look. They made good fertilizer. The decalvicantes turned them into fertilizer years ago. But Joe, did you ever consider applying to Shark Tank and going before Mark Cuban and Joe? I think it's Joanne Corcoran and the others there. You know, because they want to invest in an idea, concept, a trademark, a copyright, a business that you have, uh, and putting yourself on view for the nation to laugh at you and make fun of you, and hoping that some of them will actually invest in your idea, your concept. Did you ever think of that, Joe? I, I have toyed around with the idea. Hmm. I have toyed around with the idea. Yeah. Well, well, I'm trying to encourage that because now that we have AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America and the Justice Warriors, trying to turn us into a socialist uh, country instead of a capitalist country. We've got to encourage uh, entrepreneurialism and capitalism, and it starts from the ground up. And you, Joe, in Clinton and Annadale are an example of that to the rest of America. Well, I greatly appreciate that, Curtis. I mean, you, you kind of are start, starching my BVDs a little bit, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. It's a little personal there. I would never want to start your BVDs or your fruit of the loom, guy. <laughs> I don't go that way, really, Joe. Hey, Curtis, I want to say I did. Um, I really didn't meet you one time, but I was on the elevator with you one time back when I worked uh, with HP down at Two Penn Plaza. And uh, I wasn't quite sure if it was you or not. And I was looking. You were kind of you, know, you were kind of mad dogging me, sizing up my jaw a little bit. But uh, you know, I wanted to keep your anonymity, and it, you know, didn't want to come up to you and ask you for an autograph. Or did like uh, that, so. did I have on my trademark uh, red beret? 
Uh, you did not at the time, but uh, but I did recognize you. Uh, nevertheless, and you were you were you know you were gentlemen. You got off, and uh, oh, so you mean I was traveling uh, Operation Hush Hush Mush Mush Incognito? Yeah, you were you were on the down low. You were you were you know who incognito. was who was who was trying to kill me at that time? Do you remember what year that was? Circa, I would say twenty ten. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> A few guys after me then. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I was going incognito, and you, Eagle Eye Joe, you spotted me, even though I didn't have on my uh, trademark red beret. I did, but uh, but again, I, I did want to respect uh, out of out of much respect your your anonymity, and uh, you know you you don't need some you know some govone coming up to you and asking for your autograph. Oh no, I always do. Trust me, that definitely strokes my ego like you can't imagine it. Uh, uh, I tell you what, you stay on the line, Giuseppe. Don't don't drop this one, Izzy and Carlito, Carmelo, whatever. Uh, we want to make sure that Joe gets uh, a WABC uh, cap with Curtis Lee and the Guardian Angels on it so he can style it and profile it in what he called oh. the redheaded area of New Jersey, Clinton, and Annadale. Uh, you will be able to style and profile uh, in that uh had. By the way, uh, well, we're proudly Curtis. Very good. We're By the proudly. way, did uh, David and Cindy ever call back from Indiana? Uh, is he? Did they ever call? Oh, see. Uh, boy, you really pissed me off, Izzy. You, you, and our phone screen. What? What is your name again? Carmelo, Carlito, Chameleon. You don't do that to people who call from the tri-state area, but when they call from the heartland of America, my favorite area in the country. All of a sudden, you dump them like a, a bad habit, like it's a telephone number you'd rather no longer uh, have deposited on your cell phone, your smartphone, or your Motorola. Uh, make that uh, the Motorola burn phone, burner phone you want to get rid of. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh, the great Curtis Mayfield out of Chi-Town. That's right, Chicago. Who uh, did the music, I think, to uh, Superfly, TNT, all the black exploitation movies at that time. And this uh, classic, The Pusher Man, in honor of the uh, caller from Massachusetts who said that cocaine was flowing everywhere in the 80s. And she couldn't have been more hopelessly right. It was everywhere and created in the mindset of a lot of people you may have grown up with. Uh, a schizoid, paranoid way of dealing with even people they grew up with, went to school with, shared meals with, became so paranoid of you that they'd want to kill you and do things that you found to be inconceivable of what people would do to one another under the influence of the coquina, that white powder, the blow. By the way, uh, how is it that Curtis Mayfield met his demise? Because it wasn't in Los Angeles, it wasn't in Chi-Town where he originally was from, it wasn't in the mean tough streets of Times Square at the time, the deuce where you could go watch uh, five black exploitation flicks, make that three for five dollars. I can remember, what was it? It was Superfly TNT, 
It was Shaft. He's a bad mother. Watch your mouth. And it was Sweetback. I don't know if any of you had seen all three of those uh, films, but I think I saw all three for $5 on the deuce, Times Square. Uh, Superfly TNT, Shaft, he's a bad mother, watch your mouth, and Sweetback. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, I didn't finish with the Westies. Their demise came about because of cocaine. Just like all those guys I grew up with in Canarsie, uh, who were led by Roy DeMeo and the Killing Machine at the Gemini Lounge off Troy Avenue, uh, the very movie that our own Sid Rosenberg will be uh, appearing in, not as Chris Mad Dog Rosenberg, who is like a son to Roy DeMeo, but I guess he's playing some other part. He should have played Rosenberg because he also wanted to be an Italian. I don't understand what this is. Joey Watts, the German, wanted to be an Italian. You saw uh, De Niro in Goodfellas, the Irish guy. He wanted to be an Italian. They all want to be Italians. I don't understand this. What the hell would you want to be an Italian for? End up in organized crime and be swimming with the fishes in Jamaica Bay or be chemically incinerated in a barrel. I never wanted to be Italian. And they would say to me, my Supreme Cuisine cousins, what's that? You're Polish? Polish? Polish, you idiot. Oh, it's spelled P-O-L-I-S, Polish, right? What's Polish? I don't know, my. So anyway, my Kumbaricic, uh, the great, uh, greatest uh, mayor we've ever had in our lifetime. Eric Adams, you, you've been whining and dining with everybody else in town to try to get a grip on this crime problem. There's one guy who did it. Uh, nobody has ever done it better. He knows the route. He'll give you the template. Uh, take a little bit of the time that you're spending. Right now, uh, it's... Uh, uh, in the wee hours of the morning, he's probably at the Zero Bond Club, that personal, personal club, private club, that he's constantly seen at. Take a little bit of time, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Sit down with Rudy Giuliani, who took this city from the murder capital of the world when your friend was uh, mayor, uh, David Dinkins, and turned it into the safest big uh, city in America, all within the eight years that he was mayor. Think, think he could give up maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes instead of uh, playing basketball, skateboarding, and doing isometrics and calisthenics like Jack LaLanne. Ah. So it was Rudy Giuliani at the time. He was a U.S. attorney for the Southern District. And he applied the RICO Act on the remaining Westies. And guess who flipped? Just like Sammy the Bull Gravano flipped on John Gotti Sr., Mickey Featherstone, who swore he would never be a rat and eat the Parmesan cheese, uh, became a rat. Uh, Giuliani had him on a murder charge, and he testified against Coonan and the remaining Westies. Four days. I'll make that. He was on the witness stand, if memory serves me correct. Not four days, four weeks. And he put all the Westies away. In fact, put Coonan away. Triple Life Without Parole, so many others. And he ended up getting a pink slip, a uh, police disappearance ticket for his uh, testimony. By the way, who was it who took over the Westies? Oh, this is really Udiscraziata. This is a Shanda. For every Irish man and Irish woman out there, like in the worst times of Sinn Féin, Jerry Adams, and the uh, IRA, McGinnis, 
as you were fighting uh, the Reverend Ian Paisley, remember the Protestant Ian Paisley, who was a member of the European Parliament, held that sign aloft when the Pope was visiting, saying the Pope is the Antichrist. Crazy man, Ian Paisley, who wanted every Irish Catholic killed in Derry and Belfast. And what is the date that he would lead the Orange Parades? I think it was at some point in July. The annual Orange Parades of the Protestants through the Catholic areas, uh, Derry and Belfast. Think that would start a problem? <laughs> what do you think? That's like Black Lives Matter marching through Breezy Point. Think that might start a problem? Hell yes, it would. <laughs> I'm not thinking here. Wait, wait a second. In Northern Ireland, here's Ian Paisley with the Orange Men. They're all dressed in orange, you know. Marching through Derry and Belfast, all the Catholics there, waiting with Molotov cocktails and rocks and brickbats and sticks and guns. Hey, it's Orange Man Day or whatever they call that. By the way, what day is that? I think it's sometime in July in which they all gather up and they feel like they got to put orange on it, walk into an Irish Roman Catholic area. That's kind of suicidal, right? (laughs) That's like suicide by cop. Uh, when all of a sudden you walk in the middle of police, you pull your gun out, you aim it at the cops, you know they're going to waste you, right? As they should. They call that suicide by cops. I say that suicide by uh, uh, Roman uh, Catholic uh, members of the IRA uh, and sympathizers of Sinn Féin, the political wing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the question again. This is a double discraziata, double shanda. Who took over the Westies after uh, Durat, Mickey Featherstone, spent four weeks testifying under a RICO conspiracy charge by then U.S. Attorney Rudy Giuliani, put all of the Westies away, and they had nobody to run the Westies. And guess who emerged? This is going to blow your minds. And I'm sure some of you out there are not half in the bag. Uh, you you have been revived when I talked about the gin mill that they all hung out at, which was uh, 596 Club. I know some of you used to be drinkers. Say, come on, you had a tab there. Don't lie to me. And you can relate that to us. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Sean. Sean is calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sean. You're talking about Jimmy McElroy, and it's the 12th of July you're talking about, and it's uh, Whitey Bulger of the Winterhill Gang. Very good, Sean. Whitey Bulger was uh, public enemy number one at the same time as Osama bin Laden. And Whitey Bulger all of a sudden was on the lam. He was protected by the FBI, forever busting Italians. That's what it stood for, but not in this case forever busting Irish because he was assisting them. So he ended up going on the lam and decided to spend his time off uh, 6th Street, the promenade, in Santa Monica. Right outside of L.A. Of all places in the world, you'd be on the lam. I never thought. That public enemy number one would end up uh, on a boardwalk in Santa Monica, only be busted because his girlfriend at the time, who he took along with him, his mall, ended up being advertised on the program. The FBI said, you know what? 
instead of uh, putting up the public enemy number one guy, we're going to put up his girlfriend, you know, because girlfriends are like yentas. They're always talking, and she's probably a yenta out there. And somebody has seen this yenta, probably went to the same hairdresser, got the pedicure, manicure from the Korean uh, kimchi cuties, and they'll drop time. And that's how they found public enemy number one. Excellent. Let's go to Sal in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Salvatore. All right, Curtis. What's up, buddy? So, first, I want to talk about the uh, the Westies and the Gemini twins. But I have a quick name or two for your uh, for your show after midnight. Curtis, you've been on the subway forever, right? It's got to tie in to that. So I was thinking one could be the other side of the turnstile. <laughs> One could be off-peak with Curtis Sliwa. <laughs> the other side of the turnstile. <laughs> off-peak with Curtis Sliwa. Hey, Sal, that's good. That's creative. Well, uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to tie it into your, your subway history, and uh, it, I'll keep working on that. I'll come back with more. Um, so, Curtis, you know, respectively, that uh, book, The Killing Machine, was actually called The Murder Machine. And I forgot who wrote it um, on the Gemini Lounge uh, era. And years ago, I used to date a girl right off in your old neighborhood, Flatlands Avenue in the 80s. And we went by the uh, the Gemini, the old Gemini, and it, it, it became a church, ultimately. Mm. Uh, you know, it's become other things since, but it did become a church. And, uh, you know, the Roy DeMeo crew. So well now now you see Sid Rosenberg who hosts our morning show with Bernard McGurk he's uh, he's dabbled in uh, film now um, uh, Gravesend uh, he was in that film uh, now he's uh, going to appear in Gemini Lounge uh, no doubt uh, they want to use him because he's a Jewish guy who always wanted to be an Italian and he'd be perfect but there was a guy Chris Rosenberg there was like a son to Roy DeMeo, a Jewish kid. He so desperately wanted to be an Italian. I, I figured. I said, "Who did the? I mean, who did the casting for this? I would have cast uh, Sid Rosenberg as as Chris Rosenberg." Well, you know, Curtis, Chris Rosenberg, my friend, actually grew up with him. He showed me a picture of him uh, together. But Chris Rosenberg used to call himself Chris DeMeo because he was like a son to him. Yeah, and and his demise. Uh, you know, he started out as a car thief, and what happened was he got jammed up. He took off, uh, and I think he either killed or he robbed. So you might notice already, but giving it out to your, uh, those outside the tri-state area listening, he he robbed apparently some Cubans, I think, down in Florida. He might have killed them and took what they had, and they put it out that uh, he had to be killed because of what he did. And, and Roy DeMeo, he was, you know, a murderous guy, you know, but he loved the kid, but he had no choice. And that's, that was his demise. And yeah. the Gemini twins are still, uh, you know, they're still doing life. They're still alive. Oh, I know. Look, I, I taught them uh, to play stickball. There was uh, Joey Testa, Patty Testa, and uh, there was Anthony Centaur. So uh, Patty Testa met his demise. Uh, they they whacked him in his uh, fix-it shop, his uh, chop shop that he had right near Forster Avenue. Uh, and then Joey Testa, he got sentenced, triple life without parole. Anthony Centaur, triple life parole. And uh, 
Sal, every now and then I get letters from all these Gavones that I grew up with who want me to write a letter to the parole board. And uh, I file it in the round filing cabinet. Well, you know, I find that really interesting, Curtis, because, uh, by the way, I have a quick point about the uh, the Queensbridge projects. But one of the Gemini twins, and you may know this, I think you might have spoken about this, but I, I read it somewhere. He actually, at, at some time in his incarceration, filed for his pension because he worked for some union for a small amount of time and was was worked long enough to be able to collect the pension. I find that interesting. And actually, it speaks well to the unions. You could still be a mass murderer and still get your pension. You know? Yeah, that. And remember, you could be a crooked politician, crooked and steal millions and get your pension. Yeah, well, I guess there's something, you know, well, unions. Let's face it, birds of a feather, they flock together. Members of organized crime, members uh, in political office. There's not much difference between them at times. Yeah, it's just a different cut of suit, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Speaking of different cut of suit, there was a state senator corrupt as the day is long, not far from where you are, Carl Kruger. He would always wear this bad rug on his head, really bad rug. And uh, he was corrupt, really bad. And up with a um, uh, a obstetrician uh, who had a twin brother, and they were mamelukes uh, to their mother. And they ended up buying the house of Anthony Gaspipe Queso, which, if you looked at it, whoever constructed it there in Marine Park must have been in a drug-induced psychosis. It's right along the Paddock Basin. It is the most bizarre house you would ever want to see. So here's Carl Kruger. Uh, his boy toy is one of these doctors. He's living with the mother and the other brother there in the former home of uh, the Lucchese, uh Gaspipe Queso. And people are like, how do you go from one bizarre situation to another bizarre situation? Well, you know, I, living in Gaspipe Queso's house, I mean, uh, your fans <laughs> probably know that name. <laughs> I wouldn't want to check that crawl space, Curtis, you know. <laughs> And speaking of cocaine, people don't realize that in the 80s, all of these people were not only selling cocaine, importing cocaine by the kilos, but using cocaine. And it it, it drove people who were psychotic to begin with even crazier into the depths of demonic behavior that they would kill their own brother. They would kill their own sister, their own mother, their own father. People that they just had a meal with, and they wouldn't think twice about it because they were so paranoid and schizophrenic from that cocaine. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be up for days and days, and it would just affect them like that. I mean, I've seen it on a lo- lesser level, but I definitely saw a lot of uh, things similar to that. Hey, you know, Curtis, you were talking about the Queensbridge projects uh, yesterday being one of the largest projects. Yes. Well, you were also talking about. The Ed Koch Bridge, the 59th Street Bridge, as I still call it, and you, I'm guessing you may too, I'm not sure, but uh, the Queensbridge Projects, there was a rap song written about that called The Bridge, and The Bridge was about the Queensbridge Projects, and it was a, it was a big hit rap song. I had to look up, I knew the song, I had to look up who sang it. It was a rap group called MC Shan, I believe. Pardon me if I'm wrong. No, no, no. Oh, MC Shan. And then there was Capone and Noriega who came from there. And the biggest one was Nas. Nas and uh, uh, Molly Mall. Yep. And so, Curtis, 
your your alma mater, your hometown. What happened was after that, I'm almost positive the the South Bronx rap came as a as a battle rap to that as a, as a you know the uh, the other side of the bridge there. So they had that little that little battle, the South Bronx versus the, the Queensbridge projects. Yeah, yeah, and the Queensbridge projects, blood projects. That means the bloods ruled there. And that's how these battles would take place. You had Nas versus Marcy, uh, Marcy Projects, which was Jay-Z, degenerate hip-hop monster, who uh, made a song about shooting his brother. He shot his own brother, and it went platinum. And then Biggie Smalls, the other day we were playing his song, and he was talking about selling crack to pregnant mothers. There's a kid who went to Catholic school. His mother worked hard. He was well-versed. It's not like he was one of those, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, you know what I mean. And he's making rap records about doing what he did, which was sell crack cocaine to pregnant mothers. And yet the other day they were honoring him. Jumani Williams, the public advocate who has nothing to do all day but waste our tax dollars running for governor, was uh, bestowing award an award in his honor, and I'm saying, for what? To a guy who was selling crack cocaine? To pregnant mothers? Really? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mikey in Hoboken. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Mikey. Hey, what's up? I'm doing fine. I'm fine. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about the <laughs> my family came from yeah, go Ireland ahead, go in the 1960s and moved to Hell's Kitchen. Mm. And my aunt, who's the last one to stay there, was really friends with uh, Coonan's mother. And Mickey Featherstone was nuts before he went to Vietnam. Then he came back even more nuts. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that just as Sammy yeah, DeVoe... Sa- my aunt used to go to Sagadar Church on 52nd Street. Oh, yeah. I think Kuhn's, Kuhn's mother went there, too, I think, right down from Radio City. They lived on 10th Avenue. Yeah, and, 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 and think about it, Mike. Here, their mothers would go to not only Sunday Mass, they would go to Novenas on Monday like uh, my aunts and my mother did, and sometimes... Mm-hmm. And I, st- I did, you did. Right, Stations of the Cross. Holy women who produced uh, these evil seeds. Spillane, Coonan, Mickey Fennestone. Right, right. He went to Vietnam got more nuts. Yeah, well, look... A lot of them did, and they came back, and they they joined the... That's right. But but, but question, you know, they also had an influence, the Westies, on uh, the Jersey Shore side. What, in the Jersey Shore? No, no, I'm sorry, not the Jersey Shore, but right on your side, uh, Hudson County, uh, Jersey City. Hoboken is Hudson County. Well, look, it's all Hudson County. It's the most corrupt county in the the country. Of course, West New York. Every every mayor pretty much went to jail. That's right. I remember the mayor. He was brand new in uh, Hoboken. And at the time, Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie was the the U.S. attorney out of Newark. And he had this guy, this Orthodox Jewish guy, this realtor, a guy named Drek, whatever. And he would go around with an envelope and he would bribe the officials in diners. Because, you know, (laughs) naturally in Jersey, everyone's a a diner. So Democrats, Republicans, you just give them an envelope, and they love it because they're so hopelessly corrupt in Jersey. And you know what was usually around (laughs) sewer? Especially Hudson County. Yeah, it was always around sewer contracts, uh, bribing them over sewer contracts. And all Chris Christie did, Shamu Alhefe, is just 
send this Orthodox Jewish guy out, guy named Trek, and he would just deliver the envelopes, and then uh, Shamu would come, indict them. Uh, they would plea bargain, give up other crooks, crooked Democrats, crooked Republicans. It was like the Soprano State in New Jersey. I remember I remember years ago, I was a kid, in Union City, the mayor, Musto. Musto? Yeah. He, he was in jail, and he got reelected when he was in jail. Yes. No, no, that's not unusual. You go to Bridgeport right now. Bridgeport, Connecticut has all kinds of problems, fiscal problems, uh, crime like off the hook. And they reelected a guy who had gone to jail as their mayor. Well, like Musto. I said Musto was reelected. Yeah. In jail. Not, not at all. And I, I, think, think, I think he got elected, then his wife took over, something like that. Now, Musto, and correct me, was he from North Bergen? No, Union City. Union City, okay, my mistake. But I know there's the mayor there in, Just, uh, you know, in... Between you and me, we could probably write, write a book about this whole... Hudson County is like the sixth borough. Oh, yeah, totally corrupt. And it's run by the uh, Capitituti of all crooks, Bobby Menendez, the most crooked U.S. Oh, senator. Menendez, yeah, yeah. But I met him. I met, actually met him a couple of times. There is the mayor of North Bergen who actually... No, that was, he was the mayor of West New York. Right. New York. He serves... Four positions simultaneously. So he's the head of the Board of Education. He gets money. He's the mayor. He gets money. And then he has two other. I think he serves in the assembly. He gets money. And he has another government job. Now, what, about you, the guy, what about the guy from North Bergen, Sacco? Yeah, that's who I'm talking about, Sacco. He's got like three jobs. Yeah, that's who I'm talking <laughs> he's about. A, he's, I think he's a superintendent of schools. He's a mayor. And he's also a state senator, I think. Yeah, now like tell that. me how the hell you could be mayor even of a small town. And either be elected to the state assembly or the state senate, like uh, Sharpie James did. Remember when he was mayor of Newark, he was also a state senator. Sure, I mean well, it, look, I that's crazy. Taco, he's the same thing. Yeah. What about what about a small town? I used to live in Guttenberg. That's a really oh, small town. Guttenberg. Oh God, you could you could walk two blocks <laughs> and be in and out of Guttenberg. Wide and eight blocks long. That's right. Two blocks and you're in and out of Guttenberg. Oh, my they God. Have a, they have a school and they have a police force. Yep, yep. Man, Mike, uh, you know. I think the only thing in Guttenberg that they have is actually most of the people live in the galaxy. Do you remember the movie that Sly Sylvester Stallone made about all the small towns along the Palisades? From Cliffside Park, yeah, us, Palisades Park, Palisades Amusement Park, right, swings all day and after dark. All of those small towns, hopelessly corrupt. And uh, Stallone did a movie about that, ladies and gentlemen. What was that movie? In which all of those small towns, Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark. Remember, with the world's largest saltwater pool, Bobby Rydell would be appearing there from Philadelphia, packed a house, Cliffside Park. Um, uh, Edgewater. I mean, we could go talk about all all of them. Hope, hopelessly corrupt. What was the name of that movie for Curtis Lee Booby Prize? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Julie calling from Beantown, Boston. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Julie. Hi, Curtis. Earlier, didn't you ask who owned the Latin Quarter? That's right. The Latin Quarter was the competitor to uh, the Copacabana. Now, didn't Barbara Walters' father own that? That is absolutely correct. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. And didn't she even work there? I think she danced there. 
Yeah, well, remember, I, I remember Frank Sinatra appeared there. He performed the Andrews Sisters. They had a similar lineup of stars and starlets who appeared there. And you know how they went out of business at the Latin Quarter? What happened? The chorus line, all the cutie tooties, all the the uh, women who uh, look like the Rockettes, they went on strike, and it never recovered. That was 1969, the same uh, summer of 69 of Woodstock, uh, the Miracle Mets, all of that, the first walk on the moon. Then it became the Penguin Club, and all there were were fights, all kinds of problems, and never heard of the Latin Quarter again. You see see all of those memories, Julie, all of them, they've they've evaporated. I believe Barbara Walters worked there, too. I think she danced there. Not sure. Not sure. I I know for sure that her uh, her father was yeah. uh, the operator of uh, right. the Latin Quarter. Yeah. But I'm not at all sure that she herself was a hat check girl, uh, a dancer, a cocktail waitress at the old Latin Quarter. I don't think so. Barbara Walters, Walters, I met a few times, always struck me as a diva, the diva of all divas. I did not like Barbara Walters at all. But anyway, up next, ladies and gentlemen, this is the hour that has been taken from me. As a result of me putting my hands on the frosted mini-wheats in the kitchen, uh, HR, due to the rat Frank Morano, has taken an hour from me this morning. So we're going to have to do a hop, skip, and a jump. Wait till you hear what's coming down the pipe. Even though I'm out an hour, it doesn't mean it's time for you to go to sleep. Because we're going to be pumping and jumping here at 770 AM WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. A little classical music here, a little interlude, a little NPR-ish, a little WNYC action. I wonder if anybody out there who is a cognoscente of classical music, a New York Times station on Saturdays, would take you live to Lincoln Center for the presentations. How many of you can recognize this song? There's something very unique about this song that's in the news. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Ah, concerto. Hmm. It's kind of music that put me to sleep. We got to get pumping and jumping tonight, but again... This is the kind of music that, at times, surfaces after uh, only being listened to by the true classical musical lovers, and then suddenly makes tremendous headlines. What is the name of this uh, song? Who is the creator of this song? And ladies and gentlemen, why is it significant? 
to the news cycle that's transpiring as we speak and to the invasion taking place, the continued invasion by the Ruskies into uh, into the Ukraine. That's right, and to me it'll always be the Ukraine. Others say Ukraine, no, the Ukraine. 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. Boy, the... Uh, Trivia has come fast and furiously, although I tell you I am uh, furious uh, with our staff here, uh, Izzy and Carlito, Carmela, whatever, uh, in failing to uh, be a receptacle and get the information from David and Cindy from Indiana, who was so good, so creative, who came up with so many new potential titles for a show that I have to have lined up and the schematics done for by next Friday upon my return, because I can no longer call it the uh, weekend version of The Other Side of Midnight because of uh, Frank Morano was like, oh, had a hissy fit about it, hissy fit. So they tell me I have to change the name. But more pertinent with the invasion continuing of uh, the Ukraine, by the Russians. This song. This song. They want to ban this song. I, I, can I hear a little more of that, Izzy? Uh, find it. Let's see if it's, uh, it's an offensive. Okay. Pump it up a little bit. Why would you want to ban this song? What is it advocating? Is it uh, advocating the dissolution of the United States, uh, of democracies around the world, Is it advocating the dissolution of the European Union, of NATO, of, God forbid, the United Nations? Why is is there a battle cry now that this famous song that some of you who are into classical music have spent many hours listening to, have gone to concerts uh, at Lincoln Center and other locations where an entire orchestra would play this memorable song? What is the name of this song? And why is it they want to ban it? Oh, they love banning things, you know, in the way. It's like in the UK, right? You know, they want to ban everything. The House of Commons banned this today. We want to ban you. Sheesh. 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Back to the trivia. And to Ken, who may well be calling all the way from South Dakota, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ken. Good evening. I'm calling from the Pine Ridge Reservation. Hey, uh, that's the 1812 Overture. We played at West Point. Very good. Every year, every year, every year with the fireworks and cannons. So, name of the movie's Copland. I watched them make it when I was a lineman for New Jersey Bell. They were down there and the, they were down there using the pumping station down at Edgewater as the sheriff station at Copland. Isn't that right? That's right. The uh, Sly Stallone movie about all the corrupt little towns along the Palisades on the other side of the Hudson yeah. River, uh, Edgewater, right, Cliffside Park, uh, yeah. Palisades Park yeah. swings all day and after dark. Uh, and it was uh, it was a truthful movie. It was very truthful about how corrupt mm-hmm. those little towns are. Yeah, and you can't leave out Bayonne, Jersey City. <laughs> <laughs> Bayonne, the gateway to the world, the, where yeah, where yeah. Rockefeller had his standard oil plant, and now all the cruise liners come in there to Bayonne, all the cruise ships. Yeah, isn't, that, isn't that something, how things have changed? Now, so, what, yeah, what, um, what brought you out to Pine Ridge in South Dakota? 
Yeah, I work for the United States government. And, right. um, you know, yeah, I work at the hospital out here as a biomedical technician or engineer, if you want to call it that, for the U.S. government, for the Indian Health Services. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I've spent time out in South Dakota and the reservations there, and uh, they're vast. I don't think people understand how vast these reservations are in terms of how much land encompass them. Are you on the reservation itself or off the reservation? I live directly on the reservation. I live in a secure compound about 300 feet from the hospital. The reservation is the size of Connecticut, the Pine Ridge, and the Rosebud, which adjoins it, is about half the size of Connecticut. So they're, yeah, they're, they're huge, you know, and it takes a while to drive across it, but it's the poorest area in the United States. It, it, and, will, uh, it will make you cry when you look at the conditions that the Native Indians live under. The alcohol addiction where I've spent time not only in uh, Pine Ridge, uh, not only in Rosebud in South Dakota, but in the reservations, the vast number of reservations in Montana. And to see men who will drink this uh, chemical uh, wine, 99 cent Ernest and Julio G wine, and then can't even get up off the floor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sad because they're, predisposed to to alcoholism you know because of the genetic makeup of them and then people prey upon them and the the racism of the people that live just outside the reservation is ridiculous compared to us because i'm from new york city you know i I grew up around you you know with everything you did and everything's great and i went away to the army and then i drifted over to this stuff but you know i'm from manhattan i grew up in harlem and i grew up in queens i come out here and see the way people treat people where they treat these indians it's, it's sad you know we don't treat each other like that in new york you know and if only they had a hand up, you know, and they were treated fairly, none of this would be going on. It's because they're pushed in here. And, you know, the way that they, they, they you know, the, the racism that goes on out here is terrible, terrible, you know. But we don't treat each other like that in New York. And that's the beautiful thing about New York. And the way you talk is beautiful because you are, you exemplify open-mindedness and, and, the, and the robust thinking that we have in New York. That's why I streamed you on my radio out there because, you know, the way you speak, the way you think is, is exemplifies New Yorkers. And out here, this is the way the natives talk to each other. To me, they love it, you know. But it's, un, it's just so sad that when they leave the reservation, people outside the reservation don't think the way we do. You know, and I said, just, just leap over there and go to New York. You'll do fine. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when I was at, in Rosebud in particular, uh, as you said, it's so vast. But on the outskirts... Uh, you would go on the outskirts of the reservation, so from where the town is to where the reservation begins, and you'd see all these cheap gin mills and all these packaged uh, liquor stores just waiting for the uh, folks on the reservation to get their government checks, come over Mm -hmm. there and spend all their money on this cheap booze Mm -hmm. that they end up, Mm -hmm. you'd have to pick them up off the floor. Drug addiction, like you can't believe Domestic mm-hmm. abuse, like you can't believe. It. And when mm-hmm. the men or the women get arrested on the reservation, they go to federal prison. Mm-hmm. Federal mm-hmm. prison. They, they, they don't mm-hmm. go to state prisons. They go to no, federal right. prison. Right, right. We have a federal facility right here in-house. And the hospital's federal. I'm federal. Everything's federal. So it's, it supersedes state. There's no state authority here. Correct, correct. Uh, it's, it, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's sad. It's sad because these are the original Americans, if you want to call it that. And the way they get treated is really sad, you know. And, you, you know, it would be good if, if, if they slid a whole bunch of us up here from New York 
we would, it would be beautiful. But we got to get rid of these people on the outside. That's the problem. They just lick their chops waiting for the weakness of the American Indian to come out and take advantage of them. And that's just sad, you know. But, but, you know, maybe one day it'll all turn around and they'll empower themselves and they'll they'll overcome that slowly but surely with our help, you know, with us helping them, you know, giving them a helping hand and stuff like that, you know. But this is, I'm coming back to New York. My children come back there. We love it, you know. I, like I said, I worked there my whole life. I worked for the phone company over in Jersey. I retired and I went out to work for the government again. But, uh, yeah, I just hope. You keep up the show. I'm glad you're on at night because I can, you know, I'm two hours behind in time zone. So it's not too late out here to hear you. And I really enjoy your show, you know. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, I recently went to a Republican dinner, the state uh, GOP dinner in Nashua County. And your governor, who looks like a a Barbie doll, uh, was the keynote speaker. I was disappointed in the fact that she she spoke about a lot of issues. She was well-versed and obviously... uh, uh, is duly elected, but never once mentioned the reservations. Never once the no, vast no, number no. of reservations. She doesn't like Indians. No, she's the, she looks at them as a third third world country over here because they're exempt from many laws. She doesn't want to do anything for them. That's another sad thing. You know, that's very very sad. It's almost it's almost like if you go up to Connecticut, you look at the Narragansett, Scaticoke, because I am Scaticoke Indian also myself, and you see how they treat those people up there oh you just want this for free that yes it's you know so you see it you see what it's like you know it's sad but you know um what i wanted to say was um the thing is is that uh i'm surprised none of these people like trump or anybody came out here and see like you know what they could do to help out a little bit like his you know he's got he always got his eye on stuff sometimes you know There's a lot of money to be made out here it's just that the right people never came across this out here with the the way the tax is set up and everything, but it, it seems like Trump and his his wheel of fortune never made it out this way for some reason. He did it in New York, but he never did it out here. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned a wheel of fortune with uh, Pat Sajak and Vanna White, but uh, <laughs> there's another program that was very popular during the day where the host, the first big animal rights activist, you would never think it, been a Navy, uh, was a naval pilot during World War II. Bob Barker. That's right, Bob Barker. He lived right there. He lived down a rosebud. Yes, he lived right mm-hmm. there. And you know where I learned all of that from? Frank Morano uh, <laughs> had some of the best had some of the best interviews I've ever heard with Bob Barker. Yeah, they were, I don't like that guy. I know, but he was, no, forget that for a second. The fact is he does really good interviews, and I mm-hmm. learned mm-hmm. so much from Bob Parker, so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have thought mm-hmm. that he lived right by the reservation? He talked about mm-hmm. the misery of the Native Indian peoples, uh, mm-hmm. service. Uh, you had to do service to the country. Uh, he mm-hmm. it, Because we don't assume that there are any people who live in South Dakota and North Dakota uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, North Dakota, it's where all the shale is. Uh, that's that's where we're fracking uh, nonstop. But he taught so many people so much about the town that he came from and why that was the basis for so much of what he represented out in Hollywood, in which he was always considered an outlier. He was always considered an outlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 you get ostracized as soon as you start. It's almost like there's a built-in uh, innate racism against people that uh, uh, defend this, these people here. And it's funny because 
they have it so hard, but yet, you know, they deal with it. It's the, if, if they attack us with a nuclear war, this is the best place to live because they're used to eating buffalo for breakfast and they, they can deal with no electricity. I said to myself, I'm pretty safe actually up here because they're used to living with nothing. I'm in a perfect place. I can watch the whole world blow up and I'm isolated and these people take care of me. I'm fine up here. I'm probably the best, most isolated place in America if you know what hits the fan. So, and remember, and remember, Ken, you may not be aware of this, but a lot of our nuclear weapon silos are out there in South Dakota and North Dakota. <laughs> You're not kidding. I drive by them. We got to drive 100 miles to get to Walmart to buy our groceries. I drive by five or six of those sites on the way there. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. So when they push the button, we just watch the streaks go off in the sky. Wave goodbye and wait for the rest of the world to get blown up. <laughs> well, you know, I had an opportunity. I went to Omaha, Nebraska, uh, the SAC Air Force Command, and naturally they have communication with all those silos where they store the nuclear weapons, and it's all in that area, all. I mean, that's the basis mm-hmm. of the defense of America. It's all in that mm-hmm. area. If ever, God forbid, uh, there was a problem with Putin or the Red Chinese or any other uh, mm-hmm. any other interloper into America. Our defense mm-hmm. comes from Nebraska, the SAC Air Force Command, comes from mm-hmm. North Dakota, comes from South Dakota, and where all of our missile silos are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're all right out in the open, too. Every one of those little houses, control hubs, got three missiles attached to it, and it's right off the main highways. It'll say missile road, so-and-so, missile road. It's, it's, there's no secret. And, you know, it's kind of an open secret, I guess, if you want to call it that. But, yeah, but they're not going to launch. And the funny thing is they don't launch them back here. Once they're launched, this is not a target. The, the prize is gone. So now they just launched. The retaliatory is going to go towards where you're at and everywhere else. You that, know, that's I'm correct. Is that, that You will be the only survivors of the <laughs> apocalypse. The only survivors. So wouldn't that be ironic? There's this nuclear barrage that goes back and forth. The major urban areas are all wiped out. So out there in South Dakota, North Dakota, the only ones left are the original settlers themselves, the Native Indians on their reservations. Exactly. Mm. They just sit here on their horse shaking their head going, stupid people. Mm. (laughs) Like that commercial they used to have where they showed the litter and they had that one Indian sitting on a horse on the side of the highway or the river. And a tear would come down his eye, and he would just shake his head because back in the 60s and 70s, when they used to litter, and then they showed the Indians sitting there crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or they, they, showed, they showed him right uh, over the fact that the land was being uh, uh, desecrated because we yeah. were just tossing cans and bottles and newspapers all over the place. My experience in Rosebud, it was interesting. I brought a group from Minneapolis Guardian Angels, some of them from the American Indian Center, so the south side of Minneapolis, and they were used to going to the reservations all over, um, especially Rosebud, because they were Sioux. And we go there, and we're putting on presentations because the gangs were trying to come in from Chicago and, believe it or not, recruit the Native Indian youth uh, to get involved in their gangs right there on the reservations, as if they didn't have Mm -hmm. enough problems. So now they say, okay, we want you to go to the sweat lodge. Mm. So I go into a sweat lodge with the other guardian angels. Most of them are from Chicago. Few of them are Native Indians from Minneapolis. But, like, we, we nearly suffocated in the sweat lodge. I had my nose buried in the dirt 
because mm. naturally I couldn't tap out. I couldn't say, let me out. So mm. the Indians, they're pouring, uh, they're pouring water on these hot rocks while we're all in this sweat lodge. We couldn't breathe. Mm. And then mm. finally they let us out and we dived into this stream. It was like 20 degrees below zero. I mean, that's the ultimate macho thing. And then they said the next day, we're going horse riding. Now, I never, I never rode a horse in my life. So they said, we're going to ride the horses. And one of the guardian angels from Minneapolis, he had been from the reservation. So he takes the lead horse and he's riding. No saddle, no nothing, bareback. And, I mean, that horse is darting. They put the rest of us on horses, no saddles. And, naturally, the horses follow the lead horse. And they're running, 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 running. And this is in the field, you know. And we're bobbing up and down and we're holding on for dear life. And all of a sudden, the lead horse jumps over this ravine. And I figure my horse is going to follow and jump over the ravine. No, the horse stops. I fly over the ravine. I land on the ground. I must have been like uh, 30, 40 feet in the air. I was punch drunk for two days. Punch drunk for two days. People were laughing at me because they could barely stand up. Wow. I never got back on a horse again. (laughs) <laughs> Rosebud. Well, you had a good experience. You had a good experience out here. Oh, yeah. It's a, a totally different way of life. Yeah, that's how they have fun. They don't have any money, so they have to make up their own fun. You know, they do stuff and play with people and have man's fun, you know? Yeah. it's funny because, you know, the hospital, you can't even go to it if you're not a Native American. You have to have a blood card. They call it a blood card proving that you're – they don't take insurance. The only time you can go or me is if – you're a member of an affiliated national tribe, like, so you have to go there and you have to use the emergency room. So if you did get hurt, you could go to the emergency room. But as far as going for regular appointments, we have to go off reservation to a normal hospital, to a normal doctor. We can't go to the Indian Health Services. They don't accept insurance, even though it's federal. And if you had a blood card, you can just walk in. Everything's free, dental, medical, everything like that, because that's part of the treaty. Now, it's funny. If you had gotten hurt, you would see probably some of the best medical care you ever got in your life. <laughs> I'm not serious. I can vouch for that. Yeah, and then, you know, I know you... then they have the tribal police, which is yeah. their, own, their own form of law enforcement. So I'm meeting with them when I'm there. And they were very frank with me. They said the difficulty we have here on the res is that a lot of the bad Indians who get into trouble are related to us through blood. And then uh-huh. if we have to go arrest them in their homes, then we're uh-huh. outcasts in our own family. So it's very difficult to police the reservation because uh, if uh, there are Indians who are committing crimes and you arrest them, it's a pretty good chance that the um, the uh, reservation police are somehow related to them, you know, through all the years. And it just uh-huh. creates this incredible tension, incredible tension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They go with bacalavas and they cover their badges sometimes when they get a drug bust. When they have to do interdiction, yep. they go in with nameless and faceless. You don't see that and say, wow, what is this? They're doing a drug bust and they don't want you to know who they are because of exactly what you said. And it's interesting. It's very interesting, you know. I kind of enjoy being able to see this side of uh, it's your country within a country. And like I said, it's probably going to be my last job. And there's probably people listening that know who I am, you know, because I'm an amateur radio operator also. So they, I talk to a lot of New Yorkers over the radio uh, through ham radio, you know, and I'm the only one on the reservation with a ham license. So they'd be like, oh, that's that guy. And I have a lot of friends because I'm chatting guy, you know, living in New York. And they probably recognize me from the radio and they're wondering where I'm at. 
and he's out in the reservation now. He's always got these weird jobs because life is about, as you know, Curtis, adventure. If you just sit on your hands all day with your thumbs up, you know what? You don't have nothing to think about or do. You know, it's guys like you that make things go around because you make them go around. You know, the only reason you're in the Guardian Angels is because you want to do good for people. You can't do good by sitting behind a computer. you got to get out and make things move, push them forward with your hands. And that's how I feel. And that's why I like listening to you because you make me think that there's other people in the world that think like me. I'm not alone out here. Sometimes I feel really lonely, you know, like there's a lot of us out here in this compound that do good for people, you know, all of us. But then sometimes you feel like, where's the other people, you know, in the world? I hear you on the radio, and I enjoy hearing you because you're always talking in a positive way, you know, and I don't feel so lonely sometimes when I hear you talk. I'm not the only one out here, you know, doing my own thing because it's our thing, you know, and I want to thank you for what you do. You haven't stopped after all of these years, riding the train down to Coney Island, kicking people in the butt, waking them up, getting them off the subway, going out in the streets, going to Harlem, protecting people, walking old ladies home, doing the things that you do. I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you, Ken. And uh, you have proven that radio, as I've always said, in the 32 years that I've done talk radio, is the most intimate form of communication. So in operating your ham radio from the reservation out there in Rosebud, uh, you are communicating with people all over who have no idea what's going on there, even though it's part of America. Uh, this this form of talk radio, especially here at WABC, because we have 50,000 powerful watts of sound that you can hear in Canada, all across America, part of Europe. Again, it is an intimate form of communication in which it paints pictures. It's theater of the mind. You have painted so many pictures tonight to give a lot of our listeners who've never, ever uh, been to a reservation just an idea of what it's like in the heartland. Because if you go to reservations here uh, in Connecticut or out in Long Island, it's not the same in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. It's just not the same. As you pointed out, it is so vast. They are the size of states out there in South Dakota, and they are a nation within a nation. And most of us have no idea that they exist at all. That's correct. We have – it's such an emergent system here for what we do. I'm, a, I'm an electronic technician, and I repair electronic equipment. I'm a federal agent for that. And what happens is we have people here that wear uniforms. They work for a service called the Uniform Health Services. They're, they have a commission from Congress. They're officers in the military. They don't, care, they don't carry weapons. It's not an armed service. It's a technical service, but it's part of the armed forces. A lot of people don't know it exists. They wear Coast Guard uniforms, but they, it's complicated a little bit. They wear Navy rank, but people that know what it is, they know they put them in weird places like this or in prisons, and, they, and they, people are stationed there in jobs where they cannot hire people to do those jobs. And they put a lot of them here. My neighbor's a commander. Another neighbor of mine is another rank and so forth and so on. And they're all in there in uniform because it's an emergent situation where these Native Americans need health care to keep the population alive. And it's that bad. It's that bad that we have people wearing Coast Guard uniforms, running around this hospital, hundreds of them, doing good for these people in a medical way and in a technical way. And my my colleagues wear Coast Guard uniforms. I'm a civilian, and we all have degrees from college. You know, I went straight and narrow and kept away from the drink and the drug and went to college, and I'm, I'm a technician by trade now. But so are they. And it's funny because you work shoulder to shoulder with military people, 
helping American citizens. It's that bad out here. That's how bad it is. It's almost like you're in a prison with no gate around it, you know? It's technically a prisoner of war camp back in General's Grant time. And and it just matured into this reservation. But it is a prisoner of war camp. After he defeated, after Crazy Horse defeated Custer, they killed all the buffalo off and moved them all into this prisoner of war camp. Good old General Grant, who's buried over there in Riverside Park, <laughs> had them all tricked into here. And, and, and so it is. And now we got the military in here still treating these people. That's how bad it is. We actually have the armed for the uh, uniform services in here treating these people for medical care. Believe it or not, Curtis, that's that's. Well, it, is, it, it is, it is, as you mentioned, it is the Badlands. They have a, a national park that I went to right there in South uh, Dakota that are called the Badlands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And it, that was a bombing range. Just that, that That's where the Air Force used to practice bombing. That's because they had no care or concern for the Indians. So they said, let's just practice our bombing, right? <laughs> and they, there's live munitions laying in some of the Badlands over there. But they tell the natives to stay away from it, you know, from World War II, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I want to thank you, Ken, for sharing all of that and continue to share it, because uh, this is a part of America. Uh, I benefited visiting. I would never have probably visited uh, Rosebud and the other reservations around the country had I not been leader of the Guardian Angels and been invited to do that to try to help them with some of their juvenile problems. But we as Americans need to see what goes on on our American Indian reservations, what the Bureau of Indian Affairs that you work for do, the good that they do, the problems that exist on those reservations, because it's almost as if America doesn't want to know that part of our history, don't want to know that part that is so important to our welfare, where all of our missile silos are, by the way, that prevent uh, incursion by either the old Soviet Union through Putin or uh, President Who, what's on first? I don't know who's on third in Red China. It's all because of those missiles that are on those lands that prevent us from being attacked because the attack, the retaliatory attack, would come right from there. Yeah, correct. Yeah, those, the missileers out of Wyoming is where they're out of. Cheyenne, Wyoming is where the missileers who, arm, who, who man those bases is uh, the main uh, headquarters for those the people that uh, maintain those missiles. And uh, yeah, the uh, what I wanted to say in closing is that this um, this uh, reservation has many, many, many towns such as Porcupine, Martin. The Pine Ridge is just the one. It's like the New York City of it. We have a gas station actually, but the other ones have nothing. And then you have people like Richard. Uh, what's his name? Not Richard. What's his last name? Means uh, Russell. Russell Means, the famous actor. Russell Means, who came from here. Yep. Who's now pet deceased, and quite a few other people. Um, that people don't know their names offhand, but they've appeared in movies and things like this. They come up here to, you know, to recruit actors and stuff because they speak the language, which was not allowed. My children go to the to the to the. There's many schools here. My children go to the school run by the government, and it was never allowed to have their history written in books. The language is never allowed to be spoken, but now it is. So my children enjoy going to these schools because they learn the spoken history of the Lakota Sioux people. They enjoy to learn the language because they know it's not forever, but they're learning the culture of a different people, and then they respect it. And my children really enjoy it up here because they're treated with respect and dignity also by these people and the, from a different culture. And my children are going to take that with them, you know, 
wherever they go. I told them growing up as a kid in Harlem back many years ago, I stuck out like a sore thumb back in the 70s, you know, and now you stick out like a sore thumb. So you know how I felt growing up. And my kids understand that now. You know, I grew up on 125th Street, Amsterdam Avenue, and, and, you know, grant projects, and it wasn't comfortable. And now they feel it. And I taught them the ways of the world, the ropes, how to defend themselves, you know, the two little girls. And they had a couple little scuffles, you know, and they they did good. They had their hands up. They took, you know, they, they, they dealt with it. And uh, we got along with it, and now they like it. So it's a little bit like New York, what it was back in the 70s. And everything's getting straight out here. Now, you don't see that down there in Nebraska. You don't see that up there in South Dakota. You see it on the reservation. And you know, that's real life, man. That's They're ready for New York. My daughters are ready to come back to the city if they have to. And they're ready to tell stories. And they're ready to real, live a real world, even though they came out of the prairie. You know, and they have another language they can speak. And they've lived in another culture. And it's beautiful because these Native Americans have, uh, you know, treated them with respect. Yeah, they got into their little girly fights and stuff, but they survived it. And they're not soft. You know what I'm saying, Curtis? It's a beautiful experience out here, you know? I, don't, I know. I experienced that myself. See, that was a wonderful conversation. That's what we do here. This is a show different than others. If you're a good conversationalist, I, I will have a conversation uh, for you for hours if necessary. We learned so much from Ken uh, on the Rosebud uh, Reservation in South Dakota. Uh, but I did give credit, and we need to give credit to uh, Frank Morano because uh, one of the greatest interviews, I've, I've listened to many of his interviews with Bob Barker. Bob Barker, the great animal rights activist when it wasn't popular. He was an outlier in Hollywood, naval fighter in World War II, grew up right there at Rosebud, spoke uh, about growing up in that area. And uh, great interviews. Uh, The other great interviews that Frank Morano has done, probably his second best interview of all time, was with the Bayonne bleeder himself, Chuck Webner. Chuck Webner, you would think Chuck would not be able to string five words together all the times he got hit in the head. I'm not just talking about in the ring with Muhammad Ali, who he almost beat. Uh, and the basis for the Rocky movie is Chuck Webner, the Bayonne bleeder. That's right. That's how Stallone was was uh, catalyzed and inspired to create the Rocky uh, boxer was from uh, the Bayonne bleeder, Chuck Webner who, again, almost beat Muhammad Ali. I mean, that was like a million-to-one shot. But lucid, uh, funny, uh, lots of stories, lots of narratives. Uh, So I got to give credit where credit is due. The two best interviews I've ever heard, ever heard in talk radio, is uh, Frank Morano's many interviews with Bob Barker, to tell the truth, uh, and the Bayonne bleeder, Chuck Webner. And that's probably the last nice thing I'll say about Frank Morano. This morning. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. This is the number one uh, dance hit 
in the discos of Moscow and St. Petersburg. Number one with a Kalishnikov bullet. A song to the ode to uh, Vladimir Putin, strongman of Russia. And it was interesting because earlier today on the show that I host with uh, Anthony Weiner, I was saying, you know, I like to listen to Russian propaganda and then I like to listen to our propaganda, NATO propaganda and American propaganda, and then be able to figure out where the truth really is somewhere in between. Oh, he was offended. Oh, what do you mean? Because there's so much propaganda that folks out there. It's enormous, the propaganda. And we always have a knee-jerk action uh, to believe our own propaganda instead of just take a deep breath, stop, and listen. Here is uh, Clara Daly from Ireland. Uh, she's a colleen, although angry. She reminds me of Bernadette Devlin. By the way, uh, any of you would like to weigh in, who is Bernadette Devlin? Why am I making the comparison? Wait till you hear what she has to say. And then you may be able to respond. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's hear from Claire Daly. There's no doubt about it. We're living in times of catastrophic crisis where the lives of innocent civilians are sacrificed in the wars of their masters. Yes, in Ukraine, but not only. Since the last plenary, tens of thousands of Afghani citizens have been forced to flee in search of food and safety. Five million children face famine, an agonizing and painful death, a 500% increase in child marriages and children being sold just so they can survive, and not a mention of it, not here, not anywhere. No wall-to-wall TV coverage, no emergency humanitarian response, no special plenaries, not even a mention in this plenary, no Afghani delegations and no statements. My God, they must be wondering What makes their humanitarian crisis so unimportant? Is it the colour of their skin? Is it that they're not white? They're not European? That their problems come from a US gun or a US invasion? Is it that the decision to rob their country's wealth was taken by a despotic US president rather than a Russian one? Because, my God, all wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. Hmm. Different point of view, right? Do we not want to hear that point of view? Do we want to ban that point of view? Like now the UK wants to ban Tchaikovsky, uh, the... This song about the War of 1812 and how the Russians fought off the French of Napoleon who were trying to invade Moscow? I mean, we've lost our minds. We're banning things all over the place. Ban. We don't want to hear this person. This person disagrees with us. We don't even want to think and hear them out. Now, there are parts of what Claire Daly said that I disagree with, but there are parts of what she said that are absolutely spot on. In Afghanistan, didn't all the experts say, ah, it take the Taliban months, months before they get to Kabul. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they were all wrong, including our president, Joe Biden. And now, now what, what happened to all those starving people in Afghanistan? Uh, it's like before the invasion of the Ukraine, that was like the number one story. Then the civil war in Ethiopia, right? The guy we gave the Nobel Peace Prize to turned out all of a sudden to be killing his own people. 
And they were going to be on the verge of total starvation. What happened to their problem? <laughs> when, when Russia was bombing Aleppo, we didn't have a problem with that because, hey, Islamic fundamentalists, you know, supporters of al-Qaeda, ISIS, hey, you know, Putin was doing the dirty work. Grozny in Chechen, because he was bombing the Muslim fundamentalists, at least the cells that were supporting him, he didn't go in and extricate them. He just leveled the whole city. We didn't have a problem with that. So I like to listen to everybody. I like to be able to make up my own mind, make my own determinations, because I know my government is full of bull feathers a lot of time, Democrats and Republicans. The Gulf of Tonkin was the reason that we escalated the war in Vietnam. There was never a Gulf of Tonkin situation. LBJ made it up to escalate the war. It was all bull feathers. Oh. Uh, How did I find that out? From American history? No. By listening to the other side that said, you know, the Gulf of Tonkin never took place. president made that up. Weapons of mass destruction. If we only had listened to Saddam Hussein and Tariq Aziz, his sock puppet, remember? We don't have weapons of mass destruction. You're lying. You're lying. We know you have them all throughout Iraq. Yeah, that's right. You know, Colin Powell, Tenet say you have weapons of mass destruction. We are going to destroy you. It turned out they had no weapons of mass destruction. Maybe Tariq Aziz, uh, Saddam Hussein, sock puppet was telling the truth. But how would we have known? We had no access to that. We were we were beating the drums of war. And then Tony Blair very eloquently came into our House of Representatives and our U.S. Senate, remember, and made the pitch about the yellow cake from Niger. Oh, the yellow cake from Niger. Yes, that was the source of the weapons of mass destruction. All lies. All lies. Because Bush 43 wanted vengeance against Saddam Hussein, who had planned the assassination of his father, Bush 41, who was going to visit Kuwait, that Saddam Hussein had taken, and so this would be his form of vengeance. So we created this idea, Dick Cheney, the evil one, the one who loved to waterboard Gitmo prisoners, that in fact an attack on Saddam Hussein was really an attack on... The Taliban and Al-Qaeda, even though the Taliban and Al-Qaeda hated Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein, they merged it, converged it. Yes, this is going to destroy Al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban. No, it has nothing to do. Uh, Saddam Hussein has nothing to do with them. Destroy him. I thought he was our friend. No, he's our enemy. So be, be aware of what our government tells us. Democrats or Republicans, because it is our form of propaganda. Just like Putin has his form of propaganda. That's why I like to watch RT whenever I can, because I can tell that's a lie, that's a lie. But wait, 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 wait. Oh, this one might be true. Why are we afraid to let people sort of fathom out situations for themselves? Give people the information and let them... Figure it out. We don't trust people. Governments never trust people. They want to guide people. They think we're all eh, 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 sheep and they were our shepherds. 
and that we can't think for ourselves. And they'll actually tell us, well, the reason we had to lie to you is because you wouldn't know what to do with the truth. Really? So pompous, so arrogant, so pretentious. Or maybe it just is an excuse for your lies. So beware, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot of lies flying fast and furiously right now about the Ukraine. And they want us to put up a no-fly zone, and there's pressure to put up a no-fly zone, and everybody knows that's going to lead to a world war. And do we really want to get into a world war over the Ukraine? Russia has their crooks. The Ukraine has their crooks. (laughs) And we're going to get into a war over the Ukraine. Think about that for a second. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then naturally, we'll get into it in the next hour. You know that Vladimir Putin is insane in the brain. He's out of his mind. He has a Rasputin-type person who is at his beck and call. Uh, We didn't seem to have a problem with him before. (laughs) But we got to create a narrative. The evil, the evil Vladimir Putin. Insane in the brain, out of control. Really? Is he? Or maybe we just haven't been listening to him because he's been telling us what he's going to do. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Big Julie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Big Julie. Hey, Curtis, I'm over here smoking my Denovli and listening to you tonight, and it's freezing out. Let me tell you about those weathermen. Let me tell you. i got to ask you something. These guys go to acting school. Weatherman and the newscasters. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> oh, they are. They all they do is read tele tele uh, prompter. Uh, they, they they there's no improv at all. They they might as well. You're right. Be actors and actresses uh, because yeah. they, they, you know they they give us misinformation and then they never ask for you know forgiveness. Like I was wrong. You know I was no no. They were on to the next weather forecast. Yeah yeah. They're unbelievable. But listen but listen. I got a name for you. You know, you want for next Friday. Yeah, now, I'm going to ask you this before I give it to you. If you use this name, mm. all I want from you is a signed red beret with your, your uh, uh, autograph on it, if you use it. You think you could promise me that? Absolutely, absolutely. I, that I can do. Uh, remember, we received a call from Nicoletta out in Salinas, California, yesterday who is originally from Trieste, uh, next to Trent in northern Italy. Uh, uh, I am going to be sending her an autograph. That's all she asked for, an autograph. And uh, if I use your name, uh, you will definitely get a signed red beret. And who knows, even if I don't use your beret, you may get a surprise. uh, U.S. Postal Service, but if it's our post office, it may take a month to Sundays. Go ahead. Go ahead, Greg, Julie. As long as it's not coming by boat, it's fine. <laughs> okay, now listen. Here's the name. Of, here's the name. We're going to call you from, and this is, describes you exactly. Call you the Night Cat, Curtis Sleever on WABC. Mm, the Night Cat. I like that because we have the Day Cat, who is John Katzmatidis with his show, the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, and then in just a few hours, uh, starting at 8 o'clock, he does his uh, roundtable, which includes uh, Frank Morano for that first half hour, and then he has a number of notable guests before he gets into uh, turning over the microphones to Mike Kumbaticic, Rudy Giuliani at 10 with Dr. Maria. And then, as you know, it's uh, Judge Janine Pirro from 11 to 12, uh, and the rest, uh, his history. And before you know that, from, from 3 to 5, I'm back with Chris Hahn.
on the night cat sounds good to you, Curtis. I'm going to have to run that by the daytime cat. You know, I didn't even think about it, that John Cat is from Atides. I, I never heard him actually say I'm the cat, but actually I've, I, I've had this. Actually, I was going to use this name for myself because I like to, I always wanted to be a radio broadcast, and I say, hi, this is the night cat. Hi, Big well, I, I, te- I, I tell you what, give me that presentation again. If you were introducing yourself on WABC, imagine this was a dream come true. You had an opportunity uh, to do a one-time, one-time only program. How would you introduce yourself, Big Julie? Hi, this is Big Julie on WABC, uh, otherwise known as the Night Cat. Okay, now, because uh, the cat, the cat man who ran for mayor in 2013, I know, I saw him campaigning out there. I was uh, campaigning for Katz to be the borough president, Melinda Katz, K-A-T-Z, okay. and John Katzmatidis would come with his supporters and Margot, and they would have Cat, the Cat Man. Sometimes it was confusing mm-hmm. to the people who would look at Cat, and then they would see Cats. And see right, us right. together. So I tell you what, Big Julie, I will ask permission from the cat man himself if okay. if he actually might consider that as okay. a uh, potential name for the show or that can no longer be called uh, The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition, because Frank Morano had a hissy fit about it. Yeah, well, listen, we're the, we're the men on, at this hour. So let's just keep it with ourselves over here. You're going to get that night cat, Curtis Slewa, on WABC. Now, does it sound cool? <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's possibilities for this, uh, Big Julie. We'll keep that on the down low, hush, hush, mush, mush. We'll have to let the cat man make the decision on this. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Johnny in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis, how you doing, bro? By the way, Johnny, uh, I would give you a pass, but rules and regulations, Robert, rules and regulations are for talk radio callers when you call in. Please don't ask, how am I doing? Because I'm going to tell you I've had better dates. Kabish, Kabish, Johnny. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Now, that person that called from North or South Dakota, I think he was a very racist person because the people, the native people of that country were destroyed by the white people that, so the white people that um, destroyed them. And he said his daughters are learning their language. They are uh, defeated people, just like the people in Ukraine and Russia or or Afghanistan, wherever you want to go. So he's saying, oh, he's teaching them a language. He's teaching his daughters to be very racist. Have you ever read the book Bury Me at Wounded Knee? Well, you have I, to I, be I, out I, of your mind to accept these kinds of calls without knowing the history. That guy's a racist, and he's teaching his daughter to be racist. Now, now, Johnny, how is he racist? He is working for the Bureau of Indian Affairs at Pine Ridge. Indian Affairs? My foot! Well, well that's what BIA stands for, Bureau of Indian Affairs. It, it's their own nation. You do understand the Indian nations are considered an independent nation within a nation. Are you... Bury me at wounded knee. Do you know they ran? Have you ever heard the Trail of Tears? 
You know how they ended up where they are? They don't belong there. They never where what happened to the buffalo and all that? The buffalo, they killed everything. The buffalo, they killed everything in the they those people are in a reservation. No, no, we 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 understand that, Johnny, but we can't undo what occurred years ago. Okay. Let history be known as it is. And not and let that man just talk and say that, oh, teaching white supremacy, because that's basically what you're doing is teaching white supremacy. How is that white supremacy? He was in- white supremacy is that the Indians do not have their land. Well, they do have their land. They have a tribal government. They have tribal police. Uh, we were trying you got to be out of your mind. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Johnny, uh, have you ever been to a reservation? Yes, I have. And I bought cheap cigarettes there, upstate New York. Okay, so that's why you went to, to the Mohawk Reservation to buy cheap I don't smoke cigarettes. Well, why'd you buy but the... I, but I see they sell... You have pushed these people to the edge of disaster for hundreds of years. And you talk about Pollock and and... Putin and all these people, and these people have been just like the black people has been slaves have been brought over here and under under and we have to pass laws to get to un. No, no, I know, uh, Johnny, but I'm fascinated that you decided. You decided. You are crazy, crazy. I never thought. I thought you was cool, but now I know you are straight up racist. You are straight racist. But you went up to an Indian reservation to get no tax cigarettes. Why? I don't smoke cigarettes. I, I, I said that's where they sell them. I don't smoke them. I You're a racist, Curtis. Well, and that's why you didn't become mayor with your, with your um, fake-ass. Um... <laughs> Yo, you'll never be president. That's all I got. Who the hell is talking about me being president? I ran for mayor. Johnny, Johnny. Yeah. Relax. You're a cornball, man. You, you, you are. Yo, I'm so disappointed in you, man. You really hurt my feelings, man. I thought you was a better person than that to allow this guy from North and South Dakota talk about the Indian people who have been who lost their land over 400 years and who have been um, smallpox blankets and all of these things. I'm surprised at you, but I know you're a real undercover racist. I'm an undercover racist, according to Johnny from Queens, who goes up to a reservation, the Mohawk Reservation, that separates uh, Canada from upstate New York to get untaxed cigarettes that he doesn't smoke. Man, he's smoking something tonight. And I tell you this much, it ain't cigarettes from the reservation, from Egypt, or Marlboro Reds. That's for sure. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Classic Who. And believe it or not, they're going on a Depends tour. They all go on Depends tour until death do they part. It's incredible. 
But that's the classic line. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And I got to tell you, um, all these experts, right? Started off this evening. Naturally, I'd been walking through Hell's Kitchen, depressed, angry, that I was losing an hour this morning as a result of having put my hands on the frosted mini-wheats and being caught on tape here at WABC in the kitchen after being ratted out by Frank Morano for doing that HR imposed upon me. They said a one-time, one-time only penalty of removing my 2 to 3 o'clock hour. I'm still bitter over that. But, hey, they caught me, right? There are consequences for your actions, but I'll get that rat if it's the last thing I do. Can you imagine that? But let's try to keep this positive. Let's push forward because uh, so many of the so-called experts And you say to yourself, experts, they predicted a snow bomb. They predicted a Northeaster today. It didn't happen. They predicted that Vladimir Putin would not invade the Ukraine and try to take over the whole Ukraine. And they couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. Then they talked about the might of the old Soviet, a.k.a. Russian military, how it had been revamped, improved, how Vladimir Putin had put all of his petroleum money into it. And it proved not to be as effective as they said. Oh, three days, uh, they'll take over the Ukraine. Uh, here, right? It's day 17. They haven't. And then they decided to uh, turn uh, Vladimir Putin into Hitler, like we always do. Anybody we want to go to war with, they become Hitler. You say to yourself, look at Hitler, read Mein Kampf, look at all he did, look at his plan to execute and destroy an entire segment of our society. Jews, those who are involved in unions, those who are communists, those who are socialists, uh, those who are gypsies, Roma people. We can go right on down the line, starting with the Jews. He systemically wanted to commit genocide. And we have a habit of whenever we're determining that we've got to go to war, we want to beat the drums of war because it helps the military-industrial complex, no matter how many times we recognize that we shouldn't have done that. We got to call somebody Hitler. Saddam Hussein, Hitler. Bashir Assad, Hitler. Vladimir Putin, Hitler. For the second time, remember it was uh, then Secretary of State, Hillary Rodham Clinton, who called Vladimir Putin Hitler back in 2014 when he uh, invaded the Crimea and uh, had his, uh, his militias continue to fight in those two eastern provinces which have been percolating, which have been battlegrounds now since 2014. We haven't paid attention because clearly the world has my mindset that has the length of a teetsy fly. You know, one issue, one day, another issue, another day. We forget all about these other issues. First of all, Vladimir Putin, he was smart. He was savvy. He was crafty. Now, all of a sudden, because he did what all the experts said he wouldn't do, and he invaded the Ukraine. And he's using the same methods that he used in Aleppo, same methods he used in Grozny to smash the Islamic separatists in Chechnya. We're shocked. We're surprised. Hey, this is Vladimir Putin. But he's crazy. He's now insular. You know, as a result of the lockdown and the pandemic, 
He wasn't the macho man walking out there in the public. He was he was housed in that billion-dollar mansion of his between St. Petersburg, the city of his birth, and Moscow, where the Kremlin is on Red Square. He's narcissistic. He's involved in self-love. He's a megalomaniac, fantasizes, power exaggerates his sense of self-worth. Boy, that could apply to a lot of Americans I know, including people who broadcast here at WABC. But a megalomaniac and a narcissistic person, they're not the same. You know, I, I love it when the shrinks say, well, not all narcissistic personalities are megalomaniacs, but megalomaniacs are narcissistic personalities. Now, try to explain to me what the hell that means. So I figured out out of all the pontificators, uh, all the prognosticators, all the so self-described experts on Vladimir Putin, why not listen to somebody who's actually spent time with Vladimir Putin? And believe it or not, I thought back, who probably interviewed from America Vladimir Putin more than anybody else? And he came to mind when she was at the Fox News Channel. Pretty sure it was Megyn Kelly. And so I did my homework, and yeah, I think she had had like three separate interviews with Vladimir Putin. I uh, had access to him. And I figured, look, you spend a lot of time with somebody. You have long interviews with them. You're going to get to know something about it. So rather than try to rewrite and accept the CIA's interpretation of Vladimir Putin, who I don't trust, CIA, criminals in action, they've always been. You can't trust them. And most of the time, they've been hopelessly wrong. And corrupt, I might add. Let's listen to Megyn Kelly as she discusses what she interpreted to be the three different personalities that she saw within Vladimir Putin. He is whatever he thinks you want him to be. So he is a former KGB agent and he studied, you know, how to how to manipulate people, how to affect people. And so he knew that I was the, a mother of three young children. And one of the first things he mentioned to me was his relationship with his mother and how much he loved his mother and what it was like when he was a little boy. And clearly he's trying to butter me up, right? He's trying to win favor and very smiley and very polite and a, a total gentleman, right? When I'm talking to him behind the scenes. So that was Vladimir Putin, number one, one one-on-one with Megyn Kelly when she sat with him for an interview. Then Megyn Kelly experienced a second Vladimir Putin. And then um, Prime Minister Modi of India came and the three of us sat down and had tea and sort of a a little, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it. They told me it was going to be a state dinner, so I wore a saucy dress. Paul, it wasn't, was not a state dinner. (laughs) Anywho, um, it was just the three of us. (laughs) This is awkward. You got a hot dog, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, in front of Modi, he was a little bit more of like the paternalistic, like a little chauvinistic man, like, oh, look at you. We won't even be able to concentrate on the questions tomorrow. He wasn't trying to compliment me. He was trying to put me down. He was trying to like put me in my place. You know, again, another manipulation and that's Vladimir Putin number two and then Megyn Kelly experienced Vladimir Putin number three and then when I had him on stage and I was really getting in his grill in particular about Syria joy hi run the tape um he was angry and he was like "Mm," in my face so he's whatever he wants to be and whatever he thinks you need him to be in the moment Very interesting observation. He's whatever he wants to be at that moment. 
And at this particular time, he wants the world to see him as the big, bad boogeyman. He doesn't mind the world thinking that he's out of control and that he would launch a nuclear strike. In some sense, that was the fear that people had around the world of then-candidate Ronald Reagan. Remember, when Ronald Reagan went to the Cow Palace in San Francisco, where the Republicans had gathered to nominate their presidential candidate, Barry Goldwater, senator of Arizona, against uh, many candidates at that point. It was Nelson Rockefeller. It was uh, Mitt Romney's uh, father. A whole host of folks uh, who were running at that time. But uh, Barry Goldwater persevered. I'll never forget. The two speeches that were made at the Cow Palace in San Francisco in 1964, one was by uh, John Wayne, who sounded a hell of a lot to me like a John Bircher. I I was a kid at that time, 10 years old. And then was Ronald Reagan, who had just left acting and was thinking of running for the governorship of the state of California. And man, let me tell you something. He was frightening. And people would say, oh, man, if he ever had the nuclear football, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, would blow up the world. In fact, wasn't that the commercial that was never released by LBJ? The media released it. LBJ didn't have to spend a a penny of his campaign resource that suggested that Barry Goldwater was that kind of a Republican conservative not to be trusted with a nuclear football that would blow up the world. Remember that little picture of the girl picking the daisies and then all of a sudden nuclear annihilation, apocalypse uh, scenarios? And that was unfair because Barry Goldwater was a libertarian. He wasn't a war hawk at all. But there was that fear about Ronald Reagan. And then uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was involved in debates with Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was the president. And he didn't go to one debate. Jimmy Carter would refuse to go to a debate because uh, I believe Congressman Anderson was running also as a third-party candidate. And the debate was held, I believe, uh, in the harbor in Baltimore. And Ronald Reagan did extraordinarily well without Jimmy Carter there. And people weren't as frightened of Ronald Reagan any longer. And the more they heard Ronald Reagan, the less frightened they were of him. But that was the impression that Democrats wanted to give. You could not trust Ronald Reagan with the nuclear football. And Gerald Ford also, who was an adversary of Ronald Reagan in the primaries, in which Ronald Reagan lost only to regather steam and come back and then win uh, in a second form of primary. But think back to the image that had been created about Ronald Reagan, that he was a cowboy. He was out of control. He was a madman. You would never want to give him the nuclear football. It's exactly the image that is being created now about Vladimir Putin. And in fact, it goes even further. In the history of Mother Russia, there is the image of Rasputin. And we've all seen the pictures of Rasputin, vile, despicable, a guy who never bathed, dark, stringy hair, ominous look. Looked like he could uh, probably have been uh, that that era's version of Charlie Manson, right? Rasputin. Rasputin, who came up with a temporary cure for the hemophilia that the Tsar and the Tsarina's child had, who would have been the heir to the throne. Uh, she was so grateful. She listened to anything that Rasputin said, and he seemed uh, to have a hold over the Tsar and the Tsarina's court. 
and was having sex like uh, three times a day. And they tried to poison him one time, and he survived. And then they tried to poison him a second time, and he survived. And then a third time, they tried to poison him, and then they saw the poison was having some impact, and then they stabbed him multiple times, and then they shot him a few times, and then they threw him into the river, and he was still alive until he finally expired. Well, now the new story about Vladimir Putin is he's got this Rasputin-type guy who's always with him, who was at that billion-dollar mansion that he didn't leave during the height of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, during the spread of the new variant COVID-19, that this Rasputin is whispering to him that he no longer takes counsel from anyone else and that Rasputin really is controlling the country. We have lost our collective minds, ladies and gentlemen. We are making the same mistakes again and again and again. And now I see demonstrations all over the world saying that we should impose a fly zone in the United States and NATO. Are you out of your minds? A fly zone? A no-fly zone? We've done that before against countries who had nowhere near the power to confront us. Iraq. No fly zone over Syria. No fly zone over Lebanon. No fly zone over Serbia. Although they shot some SAM missiles at us. But a no fly zone over the Ukraine? You don't think that's going to start a war with Russia? Boy, from people who got burned so badly as we did in Iraq, and then Afghanistan with that retreat, that... That retreat that was so unnecessary, in which we showed incredible weakness on the part of our military in the United States, that we got our troops out of there. We were so terrified that they would be vanquished by the Taliban. Really? And now all of a sudden, they, the world wants to drag us into a war with Russia over the Ukraine. Crooks on the Russian side, crooks on the Ukrainian side, You don't know who you can trust on either side. Obviously, the Ukraine is closer to our values than the Russians are. But do we really want to get involved in a world war? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tom in Bergen Beach. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tommy. Curtis, I I, I hate to do this to you, but you're uh, wrong about the uh, Iraqi war and no, no weapons of mass destruction. I am a sergeant. I was a sergeant in the United States Army, and I served in Iraq from 05 to 06. And I got to tell you, the Special Forces units there found plenty of chemical weapons, which is a weapon of mass destruction. And I can't stand the fact that most people rely on the fact that uh, we said for so long that uh, there were no chemical weapons found, and they want to denounce this war. And believe it or not, I'm not a real big fan of this war, but I did not like Saddam insane. You know, the guy was a piece of garbage. And, uh, and it was good that we got him out of there, and the good that we did there in the country was great. I was part of some of the good things. But I do not like the fact that you, and, and what's his name, said it too, Colonel Greg Kelly. He should know better. I was there, and I know they, they were there. They were found while I was there. There was a stockpile found. And also the fact that they used them on the Kurds in 1980. They used chemical weapons and killed three to 5,000 people or something like that, or 3,500 to 5,000 people. And then they injured over 15,000 people with these chemical weapons. Tom, Tom, so, Tom, you, mean, you, you do, Tom, you do, real, Tom, Tom you, you do realize we gave him the chemical weapons to use against Iran when he was in that six-year war with them. You do realize that. I do. I do realize that, that we gave him a lot of weapons. 
A lot of the weapons that we used on, on, on my friends to kill us in IEDs. One five five rounds underneath the ground. One thirty five thirty five millimeter thirty five um um thirty five millimeter um no oh, what the hell is things called I can't remember anyway they they give us we gave them a lot of weapons. All right, but but Tom, that. you served our country. You went and did what you were asked to do. But don't you find it odd that we had to go to war against a guy who one minute we're the friend of, then an enemy of, then a friend of, then an enemy of, and it's sort of like mm-hmm. really. Yeah, it sucked. And not only that, let's face it, if you go over to Iraq now, and this is always uh, the litmus test for me, can our troops who are still uh, housed there, can they go on R&R anywhere in Iraq? They can go to Kurdistan up north, yeah. Yeah, no, no, with the Kurds, I understand that. But to be honest, in Shia and Sunni areas outside of Kurdistan, they can't go on R&R. They can't go into any of those towns or villages. Uh, They might be killed. True. Right. So I'm saying to myself, we spent all that time, we spent all that money, we took out uh, a totalitarian dictator, Saddam Hussein, and look at the mess that we left behind. We did leave a mess. Well, it was good for a little while, and then all of a sudden ISIS came back in. Well, I I, I tell you, Tom, what really disappointed me is when we invaded. Uh, right away, we saw that the Shias were not uh, throwing, uh, can- you know, throwing flowers at us. They were somewhat suspect. Roger. But then all of a sudden, we allowed the looting to take place. Rumsfeld said, "No, no, no, don't, don't do anything to stop the looting." And then we're watching video of our troops being forced to stand around. It's sort of like the summer of 2020 when our police were told, "Let them loot and shoot." And here they're going through the cities. So Mosul, Baghdad, or remember, they just let them loot. I was in Mosul. Yeah, I, I watched it. And, it, you know, it sucks is we have something called the um, ROE. It's called the Rules of Engagement. Yes. And there were a lot of rules. There were chains here and there. People were allowed out at night. They weren't allowed out at night. So at times, you didn't even know when we were allowed to, you know, who was out there. You know, you see somebody on the side of the road bending down. They might be just throwing garbage out which has happened to me. I almost shot a guy because I thought he was putting an IED on the ground because we were coming. But it turns out he was just throwing out garbage, and I got lucky enough that I didn't kill a guy Good for no reason. Good, thank God. But remember, Mosul, the second time around, when we had to drive ISIS out of there, uh, we have our our uh, uh, military firing on ISIS. It's firing back. And not far away from us are the Iranian guards of the Ayatollahs and we're exchanging information with them in terms of how to better eliminate ISIS, who was our mutual enemy. And I'm scratching my head and saying, "Oh my God, <laughs> we're working. Old, we're working with the Iranian guard." Yeah, there's an old expression: "The enemy of my enemy is my friend," and I'm, I'm assuming that's what, what that was at that time. Yeah, I'm not I mean, real look, happy about what happened. I just want people to know and understand when people when you say it on the radio that there were no weapons of mass destruction. It's 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 disinformation or misinformation or something like that, whatever you want to call it. I just want people to know that there were were yeah. met, and, and, and look, in Iraq. We were told, okay, because there had been gas used against the Kurds. You're absolutely correct. Although we provided that gas against uh, to be used against did, yeah. a lot of it came from Syria though too. Right, but it was supposed to be used against the Iranians. We we had no problem with that. And then remember, they practiced on the Beagles. Americans got more upset because they gassed the Beagles before they gassed the Kurds. Yeah, I got to say that too. 
And then remember, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, we were told, oh, the Iraqi troops were going into the, uh, into the hospitals uh, and they were disconnecting uh, those, uh, uh, those places that had the little babies in the infirmary. Remember how they were disconnecting them and the babies? That proved not to be, yeah. That proved not to be true. I mean, we mm-hmm. have our propaganda; they have their propaganda. Yeah. And I think one thing we've learned from Iraq is we we take a deep breath, we stop, we listen to everyone's propaganda, and then we figure out what's in the best interest of the United States. Yes, true. But I want to I want to salute you for bringing that to our attention. I Thanks. also want to Kelly too. Yeah, I want to tell Greg Kelly. Yeah, I will. But uh, Colonel Kelly, a great job. He was part of the no-fly zone. He said, can't do a no-fly zone. He's an expert on that. He was up there. He said, look, if they shoot at you, you guys shoot back at them. It's war. Uh, So between what you've told us, Tom, uh, with boots on the ground in Iraq, what Colonel Kelly, Greg Kelly has told us was part of – the uh, the flying uh, the flying no fly zone the American uh, uh, part of it in which he described exactly what his job was hey you shot at him he had to shoot back at you if you shot a Sam missile up at him he had to take out that uh, that placement uh, we're, we're learning much much more about the potentiality of further involvement in the Ukraine and now the Russians through their propaganda are claiming that there are laboratories that we funded. And let's face it, I don't necessarily trust Dr. Fauci. We've seen him uh, funding that lab in Wuhan. We've seen him funding the experimentation in which they killed the beagles, and he uh, subcontracted it out to Tunisia in the worst possible way, the torture of those beagles. But now we see that Russian propaganda is blaming us for actually having placed weapons of mass destruction laboratories in the Ukraine to test out different WMDs, biolabs, like we supported in Red China and we have supported all over the world. Now, right away, absolutely, that's lies, lies. Easy, easy for us to say. It's lies. But we've done that in other countries. Is it a possibility that we subcontracted it out to biolabs in the Ukraine? Uh, let's put the question. Let's have Rand Paul put the question to uh, uh, <laughs> Dr. Fauci, who loves to do the, the chicken dance, you know, about uh, around all these questions. Is it conceivable that we may have subsidized biolabs in the Ukraine? I think it is. Now, could it be nonsense and propaganda by Russia and Putin? Of course. But I don't like this. Oh, that's propaganda. No, absolutely. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's what you told us about Wuhan, right? That, you know, it came out of that uh, wet shop, you know, where they were slicing and dicing bats and other animals, and it came out of a wet shop. It didn't come from a bio lab. And then we incredibly learned that not only may it have come from a bio lab, maybe on purpose or accidentally, but that we had helped fund that bio lab in Wuhan that the Red Chinese are running. Weren't you shocked about that, ladies and gentlemen? I know I was. What the hell are we funding a bio lab in Red China, our enemy? 
Dr. Fauci writing the checks. So why would it be so inconceivable that we're funding a bio lab in an allied country to us like the Ukraine? And why all of a sudden, no, we're not answering those questions. That's all made up. It's propaganda. And I'm saying, oh, knowing the history of our government, knowing of all the nefarious things we do, why wouldn't it be conceivable? And why wouldn't we want to investigate that? Are we going to trust Dr. Fauci on that? I don't. Do you? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Larry in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Larry. Curtis, on a much lighter note, I got a name for your show. Oh, good, good, good. two, Two quick jingles. Angel in the morning. Just call me Angel in the morning. Good. And Angel in the morning. Do homage to our buddy, I-Man. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. You're right. You're right. That that has, uh, uh, you are able to do the jingles. You know, uh, a jingle writer or a, a jingle creator at one point in radio, whether it was music radio, talk radio, is was considered the, the highest profile uh, job uh, in the profession because radio stations would be graded by their, their jingle ability. So I like that, Larry. Can I... Uh, can I uh, sort of culturally appropriate it for myself? You may have it free of charge, my friend. Thanks for all the pleasure you bring us over the radio. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. See, have the, have the a great night. Audience is so accommodating. Let's go to Howard in Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Howie. Howie, Howie's sleeping. Did Howie fall asleep? Let's see. Amplify that. Let's see if we can catch him snoring. Look at that. How he's sleeping now. You see, this is what bothers me to no end. I've had an hour taken from my programming format tonight. It's gotten me very angry, Howard. Nothing that you did, Howard, in Babylon. You were just on the line. Uh, and something I must have said or did that, that caused you to go to sleep on me. This is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to a talk show host is that people fall asleep on them. Oh, God, it is the worst. Somebody else would hang up on him because it's embarrassing. So let's say if you were Rita Cosby or Dominic Carter or Frank Morano, you'd hang up on them because you didn't want people to think, oh, my God, the person fell asleep on me. Howard has fallen asleep on me. We can hear him on the other end, right, Izzy? We can hear him. Not loud enough that you could hear him peeling paint as he's snoring away, but he's there. And Howie, I need you, I need to resuscitate you like Lazarus from the dead. Because if you don't respond, then I'm going to end up with a reputation that I not only put somebody to sleep on talk radio, but they ended up staying asleep. That's even worse. Sometimes, you know, you yell, you scream, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, they, they wake up, they act like they weren't sleeping, but you know they were sleeping. You know they were sleeping. I'm concerned here. I don't want this reputation. It's bad enough, all the criticism that I get from everybody else who says, oh, my God, he does so many hours uh, talk radio on the weekends from Friday night to uh, early Monday morning. Well, tough noogies, that's what I say to everybody and to Howard. May you sleep in peace. And I don't mean like in perpetuity. 
Padre Filia Spiritu Santum, or sleep with the fishes, as many people have wished that I would end up sleeping. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Steve in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Steve. Oh, my God. Could this be a second person who has been put to sleep? Are you there, Steve? God, this is a second. How sweet it is. Oh, here it is. Steve from Manhattan. Yeah, just hold on. I got to turn the light on. Yeah, come on. Come on, Steve. You're embarrassing me here. Come on. I knew it was Steve in Manhattan. Come on. You had your name there. You had the big, big build-up, Steve. You didn't have to pretend to be somebody else. Yeah, you got to realize a lot of the audience likes that. No, no, I know that. And it, it, it is a form of uh, tricknology from time to time. But you see, with me, you get to be yourself finally. The real Steve who was on the radio before I was talking to the king of talk radio, Bob Grant. You know, that might be debatable. Well, well, why, why? I think you might have me beat. No, you I, and Lisa. I think I heard you with Bob Grant before I and Lisa were on the radio in the morning in 1991. I really do. Mm, I don't think so. But I do remember hearing you on the show, and I did say it before, when you would fill in for Bob Grant, and you and Lisa in the morning would be tearing Bob Grant apart, running him over with a dump truck, and then you'd fill in for Bob, you'd be praising, you and Lisa would be praising him to the high heavens. Then the next morning you go back to the morning show, and you're <laughs> ripping Bob to pieces, man. <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> you remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, well, actually, you're talking to his audience. You couldn't say anything negative about him. Right, but at least I will say that you at least would acknowledge Bob Grant. There's this one guy who who used to say he's out in the Midwest doing a show. Yeah, I filled in a few weeks on this guy's show out out in the East Coast there in New York City. He wouldn't say Bob Grant's name. It was G. Gordon Liddy. Yeah, and by the way, if not for Bob Grant giving G. Gordon Liddy an opportunity to substitute for him, he never would have been recruited by uh, WJFK down in Washington, D.C., which was an FM talk radio station, and get a nationally syndicated show. Right. You know, you listen. I've listened to him a little bit. G. Gordon Liddy should have been like a, like a CIA agent or something. You know, we should have been with the CIA, put him out there in Pakistan somewhere. The way he talks, so like he's like a macho man or something. You know, he, he could rely. He could turn it down a few volumes there when he's talking. Now, do you know that a, a G. Gordon Liddy was a U.S. Uh, attorney up in uh, Mid Hudson Valley who busted Timothy Leary at his mansion uh, when they were all dropping LSD? He was the guy who actually busted him. Then he probably slapped the cuffs on uh, Savage, too. He was up there, right, Michael Savage? You mean Michael Weiner? Michael Weiner, Tony Hot Dog. <laughs> that, that's, the, uh, that's Anthony Weiner's Tony Hot Dog. <laughs> I'll mention that to Anthony Weiner. Well, you see, Steve, how good it is that you're able to freely speak on whatever you want to speak as Steve from Manhattan, but when you tend to be somebody else, it's difficult. It is difficult, but I, I can tell you that some people, they go crazy. They love it. Like, you know, the, listen, the hours you were on right now, I laid down probably the greatest prank ever in talk radio. I know people dispute it. McGurk thinks he has the greatest one. There's some some guy out in, out in Lake Kakamo thinks he has the best prank. I was every call to the show for five hours on WABC radio, the, sh- the show that was on in this time. 
And I, the only way I'm going to tell the people how I got away with it, now I'll say it. What I did was I waited for a fill-in host who didn't know, you know, who the heck I was. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the next morning the call screener, they, had, they had, must have had him on one of those medieval stretching racks or something. <laughs> but I was on every call. You know how difficult that would be to be every call to a show? Yeah, but no, no, you are very good, very adept at what you do. Even I sometimes am not able to catch you. I have a pretty good ear for you having listened to you over the years in all the different uh, voices that you sometimes create, all the different ways you can uh, get on the radio. But I could easily see that some fuddy-duddy you substituting with a brand-new uh, uh, phone screener, that you would literally have been every phone call to that show, and they wouldn't have known that. No, they wouldn't have known it. And also, I think it's pretty good for the station's ratings, too, when I do that, because, like I said before, people love that when you call in. Some people think it's very funny. Some people think it's funny. Like one guy got mad. He was on the Internet. He was going crazy about me. He goes, how could this guy keep calling in with the same voice? The key thing is the same voice but different names. Then he was accusing the studio of being in on it, like, because he was saying, how could they not know it was him? It's the same voice every time over. He was like, listen, I was telling the, you know, I would tell people, listen, there's nothing wrong with calling in, taking over a radio show. If you really like talk radio, don't wait. The best time to prank, of course, is during the holidays when the host and all the people behind the scenes are normally on vacation. Then you can go in and, do, and prank shows. But, you know, something that pranking radio shows is kind of becoming a lost art lately. I don't know if it's because caller ID or because people are just, they don't want to do it anymore. They're too lazy. But there's one thing I know about you, Curtis. I really believe this. I'm going to tell this to the audience. If they gave you truth serum, you would say you love the Bronx more than Brooklyn. That is true. That is true. I just had that conversation with my wife earlier today, Nancy. Uh, they asked me, like uh, living in Manhattan, I hate it. I really hate it. And if given the choice, if somebody put a gun to my head and I realized there was six bullets in all six chambers, so there was like no way this was Russian roulette, this was the real deal, I would say I, I'm moving to the Bronx tomorrow. That's it. Well, well what's your favorite part of the Bronx? Like, there's the Bronx is Bronx is really a there's really a thousand neighborhoods. At one time, it really was that way. But where would you today? Where would you move to the Bronx? Where would you go to Country Club? No, 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 no. I mean, God, country club. I need action. I need 138th and Brook in the heart of the South Bronx. I need dope fiends. I need gangbangers. I need degenerates. I need emotionally disturbed persons, homeless people. That's that's how I really feel at home. I need uh, there to be screaming in the hallways at 3 or 4 in the morning. I need to hear prostitutes with pimps so I could go down and pimp slap the pimp. This is This is what stimulates me. Steve. All right. It gets you going, right? That's why you're on those trains all the time. And uh, I like to let you know, I used to ride the four train when I was like 13, 14 years old at one, two o'clock in the morning, coming from Manhattan back into the Bronx. And listen, folks, back then, let me tell you, at a certain point, especially with the six train, I can comment on the six train. You come out of Manhattan. I mean, you're into 125th Street. Okay, it's kind of rough there if you go above ground. Then when you get into the Bronx, like I think it was Third Avenue, Brook Avenue, Cypress Avenue. That's like the murder capital of the world, right? Then you pull into, I believe it's the Hunts Point Station on the six train. If you're going any further on that line at one, two o'clock in the morning when you was a younger dude. 
listen, there's nobody on that train. You're basically on yourself, by yourself, from, from the South Bronx, Hunts Point, all the way to Pelham Bay Station. You're absolutely correct. In fact, all along the way, those doors could open, and at any moment, somebody could come in there or a gang could come in there, and you, no cops, no nothing. You're you're on your own. And don't expect anybody who might also be on the train to come to your aid. They'll act like they don't even see what's going on. No, they nah, people back then, you couldn't do it because a lot of times the robberies were – three-on-ones, five-on-ones. It was always a lopsided case that I could tell you numerous cases, some really heartbreaking cases that took place. One time I'm on the four train, right, and it's like me in the car and there's another dude all the way on the other end of the car. You know, I'm a kid. Like, I'm drinking Coca-Cola, and the guy screams out to me, goes, hey, you better not spill none of that on me. And meanwhile, he's all the way on the other side of the car, and I'm looking. Now I know he's a, he's a, he's a loony too. He's crazy, right? But I, I'm ignoring him and everything because when you're young, you know, I can open that door and get into the other car or something or just fight him off if I have to. But back then, it was crazy, folks. You don't realize – I mean, the job Curtis did with the trains and everything with the guardian angels helped a lot of people, made a lot of like elderly people, older people feel much safer when they seen them around because those platforms could be deserted. You could be on the interval Avenue in the in the South Bronx waiting for a train. I believe they firebombed that station anywhere around the city was very uncomfortable. And we're, listen, we're in a time machine. We're going back to the 1970s. Absolutely. And see, you're a veteran. Uh, you rode the subway lines, the six and the four, and I'm sure others. Uh, and uh, you see how it's beginning to slip back. I see how it's beginning to slip back. And uh, unfortunately, the elected officials, they don't ride the subway. If they had to ride the subway on a regular basis, I guarantee you, Steve, things would change quickly. And they would have to change their diapers every 30 seconds. That's for sure. Because they... They would have an X-Lax attack. There's no doubt about that. So, as you see, Steve, you can call up me on this show, and you have free reign to be Steve from Manhattan, that you've always been. You don't have to be all these uh, other personalities to try to get through. And then, you know, you could always use your tagline. Yeah, go, Buchanan, go. I realize that. And also, I'll tell you something. Bob Grant once said to me, and I don't know what the heck he meant. He says, Steve, he goes, you are an, a, a, a caller assassin. You're an assassin caller, he would call me. I, I took it as a compliment, you know, because I always complimented Bob Grant. I know I violated. He had a once-a-week rule that people don't know. I think it's kind of ridiculous. He, I used to call maybe 50 times a week. That's why he got mad. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I used to hear you. And he would say, a once-a-week rule, but there were people like yourself who could get in. Also, a guy who pretend, who became a talk show host, Brian Whitman, because he was able to mask himself with all the different voices that he did. He would get on multiple times with Bob Grant, and Bob Grant would never realize it was the same guy. Right, and Brian Whitman actually uh, pranked... Uh... Uh, Dan Quayle, when Dan Quayle was in the uh, hospital. Listen, I laid down a prank one time on Hannity that he was ready to go to the news. I know you remember Bruce Anderson. Bruce Anderson was incapable of doing the news. He was laughing so hard, they had to go to a commercial break instead of the news. That's right. And one time with Brian Whitman, I was substituting for Sean Hannity, his national show. And Brian Whitman was on with me for a full hour as Michael Jackson, and nobody knew 
that it was anyone other than Michael Jackson. Reporters were calling up because they were trying to find Michael Jackson at that time. He was on trial uh, for his uh, uh, his pedophilia that he had at his uh, home there in uh, not Santa Monica. Where was that? I'm trying to remember where the trial was, where Ronald Reagan lived uh, when he was uh, president. Uh, and uh, I had on Brian Whitman for a full hour. Everyone thought it was Michael Jackson. And the people out there, especially the ladies, you didn't know that Michael Jackson was a homosexual pedophile? You didn't know that? Well, it doesn't matter. They got a show on Broadway now, Steve. It doesn't matter if you're a performer, right? And if you get people up to dance and clap, they'll forgive you for almost anything. Yeah, well, if the women like it, they don't care what you do. I noticed that. But the thing is, you know, it's like the freaks are taking over. I know you're coming up with a name for the show and everything. I still, you know what I would love to be? I mean, but it would confuse the hell out of everybody, but it's short and sweet. Curtis or Detroit, WABC Radio. And, yes, Steve from Manhattan will call in and prank the show every once in a while. That is the name of the show. It will confuse people in the beginning. But as soon as they hear your, your Brooklynese accent slash kind of Bronx accent in there, they'll know you're not from the Midwest. You know, I was thinking about, listen, I was thinking about buying land in Detroit because you, the thing is I've been told by people you can buy because it's, it's deserted. They got rid of lampposts and stuff. The, the little downtown area is, is modern, but once you get out of it, it's now farmland. But you can buy it as long as you bring it up to code. So bring it up to code, either fix the building or take the building down to a lot. And I was telling the guy, you know, I would like to, like, buy, do that and put, a, like, a triple fence around the land, insure it, and put a lion in there. You know what the guy told me? He goes, they would. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Northwest Detroit, they've done that. They've actually started farming there because they had so many abandoned buildings. They knocked them down, and they started farming there. But you're absolutely right. You could put up a triple link fence with razor wire on it, put a lion behind it, and in Detroit, they'd steal the lion. Yeah, and people don't realize Detroit is a situation in a beautiful area. They got the Detroit River. I mean, if you're a good jumper, you could jump right over to Canada. It's in a nice place. I believe eventually it'll come back. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. You never know. But it could. And if you have the land there, those those developers will be looking to buy it, and you'll be rich. If you're 20 years old, people are thinking this is probably crazy. We're talking about investing in Detroit. <laughs> no, no, no. That's why That's right. It's speculator. You invest when it's down. To tell you how corrupt the political establishment is in Detroit, they had the hip-hop mayor, Kwame Kirkpatrick, who had the diamond ring, remember, in his ear. He went to jail because he got kickbacks from the sludge barges on the Detroit River. That meant the company that was given the contract to take the human waste as sludge uh, to a place that would turn it into fertilizer. He got a kickback on every barge of human waste sludge that left the city of Detroit. Yeah, it's not unusual for politicians to get kickbacks on that. That happened, too, in New York City when they were building the – those uh, slush plants, the, gar- the, uh, the the disposal plants, all the sewage plants and stuff. I forgot the guy, the guy who died in the plane over in the uh, Balkans over there, the um, the Secretary of State where Bob Grant got fired. He had he was invested in that too. They may become millionaires. Anyway, Steve, it's been a pleasure having a conversation with you instead of having to introduce you to Mister Click. Right, and let me ask you something: Are you going to buy Anthony the? Uh, the Dodge uh, Charger. What does he think he's living in the 70s? He wants a Dodge Charger? 
My oldest son, Anthony Chester Sliwa, who's an intern here, uh, has requested for his 18th birthday, now that he has a driver's license, a brand-new Dodge Charger. And I told him, get a paper route, kid. Yeah, but he's probably trying to get it to pick up the girls, too, and stuff. Of course. I I already caught him. I already caught him flirting with the girly girlies uh, online. I said, Anthony, who are you talking to? I thought you said you were playing roadblocks, Fortnite. Ah, he was playing the dating game. Remember the old dating game? Who was the host of the old dating game? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Leslie West from Forest Hills, Felix Papagliardi, Corky Lang, Mountain. Really, the first heavy metal band that I ever listened to. Let me hear that chorus. Go ahead. Go ahead, Izzy. So good. Back to the phones we go, and Butch calling from the Atlantic Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Butch. Bernadette Devlin. She was at McGovern's Tavern. That's Bill Scully's place in Newark in the 70s. And her pitch was to Colleen's to devote 25 years of your life and have children, and we will out-reproduce them. You might have been to uh, McGovern's right in downtown Newark? No, no. I probably passed it. I've never been in it. Uh, but I do. By the re- university. Right. I do remember Bernadette Devlin, the first uh, woman uh, elected to the House of Commons from Northern Ireland. Uh, remember, she was vilified. She was attacked. She was a socialist uh, at that time. Uh, but she became the darling of 60 Minutes and the American media. That's all true. But she said, uh, nonviolence, just um, devote your life you know, to the young women, to 25 years of having children, and we'll just out-reproduce them. Hmm. And, now, and now think of it, uh, Butch, uh, so many years later, you can clone your own. Women can clone their own. They don't need even a donation into a Petri dish. They can clone their own. They don't need guys. But Bernadette Devlin was a firebrand. Some called her a communist. She was a registered socialist, supporter of the IRA, the Sinn Féin. Uh, Definitely one that would have her voice heard when I heard Claire Daly speak the other day about the war in Ukraine. It reminded me of Bernadette Devlin back in the 1960s. There's no doubt about it, we're living in times of catastrophic crisis where the lives of innocent civilians are sacrificed in the wars of their masters. Yes, in Ukraine, but not only. Since the last plenary, tens of thousands of Afghani citizens have been forced to flee in search of food and safety. 
Five million children face famine, an agonising and painful death, a 500% increase in child marriages and children being sold just so they can survive, and not a mention of it, not here, not anywhere. No wall-to-wall TV coverage, no emergency humanitarian response, no special plenaries, not even a mention in this plenary, no Afghani delegations and no statements. My God, they must be wondering What makes their humanitarian crisis so unimportant? Is it the colour of their skin? Is it that they're not white? They're not European? That their problems come from a US gun or a US invasion? Is it that the decision to rob their country's wealth was taken by a despotic US president rather than a Russian one? Because, my God, all wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. Mm. Boy, that reminded me of Bernadette Devlin, uh, particularly with the uh, official St. Patrick's Day uh, upon us on the 17th, the big parade up uh, Fifth Avenue. I'll never forget Bernadette Devlin. Boy, she was vilified by so many here in America, although lionized by those who were supporters of the IRA and the Sinn Féin in their battles against the British provisionals in Derry and Belfast. There's a brand-new movie. I got, I got to see. I, I typically don't go to movies called Belfast. And I'm fascinated by it because uh, I should have taken the opportunity to go to uh, Northern Ireland when I was given the opportunity. And I forget the reason I couldn't uh, go, couldn't take the ferry over. Because clearly I'd spent time in Glasgow and Scotland, uh, Cardiff and Wales, uh, throughout England, uh, Birmingham, down in the bullpen, Basel Heath, Manchester, the Mosai, Liverpool, that's right, the Beatles, the whole nine yards, you name it. And naturally a lot of time in London, uh, over in Dublin, Finlock, Coolock, Valley Fairmont. Had that opportunity, I, I, I so desperately wish I had taken the uh, opportunity to go and see for myself the conditions in Derry uh, and Belfast. Never did, but I definitely want to see this film. And it definitely harkens me back to the piece that was engineered by Senator Mitchell uh, from Maine uh, on the orders of uh, then-President Clinton. I believe it was Tony Blair or John Majors. I think it was Tony Blair. Uh, who uh, negotiated a peace that nobody ever thought would take place. Remember, you had the Sinn Féin, which was the political wing of the IRA. The IRA was run by McGinnis, I believe, uh, and uh, you had the uh, leader of uh, Sinn Féin. And then on the other side of the... uh, the uh, supporters of uh, the Union Jack Great Britain, the uh, Irish Protestants, Ian Paisley, maybe one of the craziest guys who's ever lived. I mean, this guy was insane in the brain. And he was a reverend. And he uh, would go to the European uh, Parliament when he was elected there and carry a sign when the Pope would visit and say the Pope is the Antichrist, <laughs> pouring gasoline on the fire. And again, he would lead the parades, the, uh, the Orange Men, I asked what date that was from the Cognoscente out there. I believe it was sometime in July in which they would purposely march to Roman Catholic areas and try to set it off. And sometimes they would, especially in Belfast and Derry. 
One of the things that I will do before it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I got to go to Northern Ireland. I have to go to Red China. Uh, out of all the countries in Asia I've been, I've never been to Red China. I want to go to uh, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. There's a lot of places that I've yet to go and have experiences. And everyone really should take an opportunity to travel now that the lockdown and pandemic is receding. Get out there and see people in these locales. Don't just depend on what you watch on television or hear on talk radio or, or see in newspapers or magazines or in videos. You have the opportunity. You got to go. You really got to go. Anyway, uh, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to B, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABCB. Hi, Curtis. Thank you so much for the cap. I received it. It was very kind of you to send. Thank you. How long did it take you to receive your WABC uh, cap? I received it on Thursday. Wow. So that's like record time. If you were waiting for Frank Marano's uh, uh, cap, you'd probably be waiting uh, in perpetuity. Also, if I may, I have the answer, I think, to your trivial question from yesterday. Yes. About what the United States introduced to Russia in the early 90s. Addicting them, yes. I think it's Snickers. Yes. Yes, B, it is the Snickers bars. The Mars bars and the Snickers bar, and we'll get into that in the next hour. It took uh, B to finally come up with the answer to that trivia question. If you wanted to oust Vladimir Putin, the uh, company that makes the Mars bars and makes the Snickers bars is here in America. If they stopped exporting the Mars bars and Snickers bars to Russia, where Russians are hopelessly addicted to it, they would oust Vladimir Putin in two weeks, three weeks. Uh, It's a $2 billion company just on sales in the old Soviet Union alone from Siberia to the border in the Ukraine. That could well be the answer. Up next, oh, you don't want to miss the final hour. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This song, this may be one of the last times we can play this. This was customized by bad boy David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, as you remember when I had their back in their battles against Spotify, removing their playlist because they were upset with Joe Rogan. You remember that I had their back because it was a generational battle. So uh, David Crosby was kind enough to create this song for my portion of the other side of midnight, which was called, which was called the other side of midnight, the weekend edition, and then all of a sudden Frank Morano had a hissy fit because uh, the ratings came in and it was an all-time record overnight, and he wanted to claim that it was his five uh, other sides of midnight that were the only ones rated and not my two. And so now I've been ordered. Orders from headquarters are to create a new name. And we're in the process of doing that. 
But I want to update uh, some of you in terms of what's been going on here because I think um, with Frank Morano uh, and some of his guests and uh, those people he have exposed you to, there is a little bit of a uh, Russian angle, more so than you would hear in most programs as opposed to a Ukrainian angle. And give me a little license and leeway as I try to make this case, but before we get into that, And the mess uh, that I'm having to work my way out of in trying to create a new name. Let's go to the phones and to Bridget, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bridget. Yeah, hi, Frank. Um, I just wanted to tell you um, that many, many years ago, I saw you on on TV. It was called The Late Late Show with Gay Byrne. Yes, yes. Do you remember that? Yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I remember my brother-in-law pointing out to me, they called it Late Late Show, but it started at 9 o'clock, believe it or not. <laughs> but I remember seeing you, you know, and I've been I've been listening to you ever since. You know, I know you're in Dublin. I know you're in... Um, yeah, you're now, in, uh, Bridget, from which part of Ireland uh, were you originally from? I'm I'm from Galway, a place called Galway, Connemara. Yes, yes. Were, were you ever there? No, no, I was just in Dublin, Dublin County itself. I was in yeah. uh, Finlock, Coolock, yeah. and Bally Fairmont. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a native Irish speaker. Hmm. hmm. You know, that's my first language, Irish. You know, you don't need many, you don't need many in, 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 in Manhattan now. So you speak Gaelic? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's my first language. It's, 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 it's what I was brought up on. Could you just give us a few sentences in Gaelic? It could be about anything. Um, and you're so smart. Hmm. And so what did that mean in English? I was, I was saying that I, I always enjoy your show, you know, and, and that, you're, uh, that you're wonderful, you know, and I always watch you. Wow. I always listen to you and watch you, whatever you want. That sounded so, so good. So I, I guess when the Brits... Uh, yeah. who were constantly oppressing the Irish. That's uh, right, Jeff. When, That's when, right. When you spoke Gaelic, they had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah, but, but, but if, if, you, if you, we were tortured. We were tortured for speaking it. Hmm. You know, the British was, was, was uh, very cruel, you know, those days. Now, uh, I, I really lament the fact that I never took the advantage of going to Northern Ireland and seeing Belfast and Derry myself to see for myself really, yeah. what really, was transpiring there. Yeah, I was there once, yeah. What was yeah, it like? Yeah. What was it like? I didn't see anything great about it because I, I lived in Dublin for like 20 years before I came to New York. Uh, and and Dublin was always my favorite because I like cities, you know. Yes, yeah. But, but it was, you know, it's, it's really like any city, you know. But uh, I don't know if you would enjoy it. But now, to each his own. To each his own, I guess. No, no, understood. And uh, with us uh, celebrating this whole uh, entire weekend, excuse me, this whole entire month, uh, St. Patrick's Day in different places. I'll be up in Throgs Neck in a few hours. Uh, joining the St. Patrick's Day Parade with the Guardian Angels and Andrew Giuliani, who's running for governor up there. Uh, what should we know about St. Patrick's Day that we really don't? Well, I, 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 the only thing I know about it is that it's the, it's the patriot, uh, the, the Irish patriot yeah. saint, you know. Right, and I don't... St. Bridget, Bridget and St. Patrick, you know, were the... Were the 
they're always associated with Ireland, you know. Um, but um, uh, you do know that we have a couple of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've certainly seen that and felt the effects of that, Bridget. So you were named after St. Bridget. Yeah, I was, yeah, hmm. I was. Oh. And I and I and and if you were the mayor, if you were the mayor of New York, um, I would be just up the street from you because I, I live pretty close to. Uh, I live on Eighty Ninth Street. Ah, so you're near Gracie Mansion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I go down there all, all the time. Do you ever see uh, the new mayor Eric Adams here? I haven't seen Eric Adams, but I've seen De Blasio a couple of times. Oh boy. Yeah, I've seen the plus. And the way you walk down past Gracie Mansion, uh, I would see. I, I would see them. I guess their office is there. I would see them uh, having meetings in there mm-hmm. all the time. Well, Bridget, uh, I want I want you to be able to celebrate St. Patrick's Day as you have obviously for a long, long time in many different places, County Galloway, and then in Dublin, uh, and uh, here in New York. I wonder how they celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Derry and Belfast. Anyway, let's go to Kevin, who's calling from uh, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kevin. Let's go to Kevin, if you can. Uh, that's Kevin in uh, – that's right. Kevin. Uh, yeah, hi, Curtis. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, yeah, I was uh, – oh, I was going to ask you. I, I have a name for a new name for your show, but also – or a suggestion. But also, did, did anyone answer earlier? Because I, I had to tune out for a while because I had to get some sleep and I'm going to work soon. But uh, did anyone answer the question about the IRA guy that Giuliani prosecuted? No, no. In fact, uh, the fact. Oh, I know. I, I can give you the answer. You know? sure, sure. Just before you give the answer, just so I get everybody back in queue, sure. Margaret Thatcher herself personally called out to Ronald Reagan, the president at the time, and said, I want you to prosecute. This guy that you have mm-hmm. in custody at the MCC in the mm-hmm. U.S. Southern District uh, because he killed a British cop. I want you to prosecute him. I don't want him to see the light of day. Uh, President Reagan then uh, called Rudy Giuliani, who was the U.S. attorney in the Southern District, and said, throw the book at him. And he That's did. exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. The gentleman's name was uh, Joe Doherty. Yes, Joe Doherty yeah, and, and and Joe Joe was like because he had gotten he had gotten out of Ireland because he was in the IRA. Uh, now I didn't know all his I didn't know all his uh, womanizing prowess that you mentioned that that I wasn't aware of. But uh, but he uh, he uh, he really because you know, he came here and he was he was he was working as a bartender in New York. That's what he was doing when he came in New York because you know like all the Clarny uh, roses and and Blarney stones. All the bartenders are Irish, you know. That, you know, the, you know, you, you go in there; they're, they're all Irish. They all have an accent. At least they did back in the day. I haven't really gone into one in, in a lot of years because, obviously, with the COVID and everything. But yeah, but yeah, they they, they really like they 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 treated him like he was uh, like like he was almost like Bin Ladenish, you know, because Thatcher and Reagan had such a, a, a tight uh, connection, you know. But, and and the you know, interesting thing, Kevin, is he so he's housed in the MCC. He has his attorney visiting him, a female attorney. She couldn't keep her hands off the guy. He was I remember what he looked like. He was he was a handsome guy. Yeah, I mean, she was like she. It wouldn't stop. So then they they had to drag her out of the MCC. They caught her orally fixating him. 
So they really, I see. I that you're giving me knowledge that I no, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, yeah. I was young. I was young at the time. I was a teenager right, so when that happened. They, they, you know, they so. drag her out of the MCC. They threaten to disbar her, but they say, "Okay, you're not going to have any further representation of Joe Doherty." Doherty. 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 However you pronounce it. Yeah, that's fine. You, you'll no further represent him in the court, and we may end up taking your license to practice law. So she was like shocked. How about that? So yeah, they yeah. didn't want to be considered sexist and say you can only have a, a male lawyer. They had women volunteering, <laughs> female lawyers lined up in a queue. That is funny. Apparently, yeah. the word had gone out to women lawyers. Yeah. This guy was a Lothario. He right. had a, uh, it was like it's Johnny Watt, Johnny Watt. Exactly. <laughs> and that he would just, when they would walk into the room, because they only had limited time with him to discuss his current situation, which was dire. I mean, they wanted a death penalty sure. on this guy. Well, Appar- I don't think they executed him. They, they did ship him back to Ireland, though. Yes. They, you know, he, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I will to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if not for birth control, yeah. uh, if not for mm-hmm. birth control, there probably would have been a lot of uh, <laughs> doggerties r- running around who were the yeah. children of female attorneys that were representing him. Hey, boy, that, that's 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 pretty salacious and funny, actually. But uh, uh, real quick, can I give you can I give you my suggestions for the name of your radio show? Sure, sure, absolutely. New name. Uh, yeah, uh, I I like the, the person who said Nighthawk. I think is a pretty good idea, Nighthawk. Uh, but but I think. All right. Now I know what you're associated. Obviously, you're 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 affiliated, not affiliated. You're recognized completely, obviously, because of your crime fighting and and the the uh, Guardian Angels and and obviously you're most noteworthy for your beret. So how about Nighthawk Beradio with Curtis Lewa? Ah, Nighthawk Beradio with Curtis Lewa. Yes. That, no, no. That's we're going to put that into. Uh, there's now. Been about fifty-eight recommendations, uh, both right. that have been made over the radio or have come in by email or text or uh, by uh, snail mail. Uh, right. So uh, I tell you what, we're going to keep that in the mix, Kevin, and I want put you a, to put a, put a yeah, put a play on it. You, know, you could change it around, but I think the radio would sound good. No, absolutely. I want you to stay on the line because we want to make sure uh, Carmelo uh, Calido. Uh, I keep forgetting uh, our phone screener's name. <laughs> Camelia, uh, get your information because we want to get you that WABC Curtis Lee cap, and we'll do it. It better, be split. A big, it better be a. They better give me the large one because I got a big head. No, no, it's, it's okay. Hey, you remember Joe Doggerty? Uh, that, 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 yes, I do. That was a winner, and I think I enlightened a lot of people before St. Patrick's Day. Uh, the most wanted member of the IRA, Maggie Thatcher, personally called Ronald Reagan and said, I want this guy kept in perpetuity. And then President Ronald Reagan called up U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, Rudy Giuliani, and said, throw the book at him. And Rudy said, how can I throw the book at him? He's got a line of female lawyers who are like go around the block at the MCC wanting to represent him. Oh, yeah, quite the Lothario. Let's go to Charles in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charles. Yeah, hi, hi. First, I want to give you a compliment. I'm very amazed how you remember details of every block. I mean, you should have been the mayor. Yeah, I, and your memory is fantastic, really phenomenal. Well, thank you. Anyways, thank you. you're very welcome. Um, but I want to tell you a fascinating, share with you and the audience, in your audience a fascinating true story. 
1970, a friend of mine who was like myself, Jewish and Orthodox, and he was wearing a yarmulke, and he was in England. And he went on a bus in England in 1970, and everybody moved away from him. So he figured, what did I do wrong? I, I took a bath this morning. Well, what's wrong with me? Why are they moving away? Then he finally found a seat, and two people on each side of him just got up and didn't want to sit next to him. Later, I don't remember if somebody told him or he figured it out. As I said, he was Jewish and Orthodox, wearing a yarmulke, and on his yarmulke, knitted yarmulke, was his name, I-R-A, Ira. <laughs> his name was Ira. I'm mean, fascinated. He could have gotten got a bit killed. He still lives in the same neighborhood as me. We just talked about it a few weeks ago. Wow. Now, what, what, what year? What years were those? 1970. Okay. Yeah, that I was. Just a, talked to him about this story a few weeks ago. Yeah. That, that was the height of the power of the IRA. I got to tell you, when I was organizing the Guardian Angels in London, I couldn't find a garbage can to put any trash in because the IRA would secure their bombs in a garbage can, then they would call up the authorities and they'd say, you got like 20 minutes to get everyone out of that area before we set that bomb off with a timing, a timing device. And it would normally be, right. It would normally be secured in a garbage can. So you could go to, uh, uh, you could go to King's court. Uh, you could go to, uh, uh, Victoria station, some of the huge stations there. And there were no garbage cans. They had to remove the garbage cans because the IRA was so effective at putting bombs in there and then setting them off. But that's like, so, well, I mean, they kept on doing the same thing because the terrorists in America, you know, American authorities all of a sudden start um, checking your shoes. They're not going to do shoes again. You know what I'm saying? Um, or, or, the, or the underwear bomber. But you're saying they used to do it several times to put it in the garbage bag that would explode? Yeah, you know, uh, Charles, the most embarrassing thing is when you go to the airport and you had a hole in your socks and you had to take your shoes off and everybody was watching you, you know, with the holy socks on. And you're like, hey, what's up with this guy? I mean, that, you know, you said that was that was embarrassing. That was hey, Hey, what are you doing over there? You having a Glock kosher meal? I'm in my bedroom trying to fall asleep. No, 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 no. You cannot fall asleep until this show is off the air at 6. I have made it a vow to keep everybody awake. We already had one guy who fell asleep on us, and that ain't happening again. I know, again. I know. That I ain't happening. Charles, know. you can dive in in a few hours. You can go be part of the Minion uh, at the shul or the synagogue, uh, but you got to stay awake at least at 6 o'clock. You know, it's interesting. Um, I-, I called the... Um, Frank Morano show quite often. And this last time, it was like a quarter to four in the morning, and all of a sudden, like, the phone is next to me, and I hear it, people yelling, Charles, Charles, Charles. I fell asleep. <laughs> First time ever. Yeah. But I fell asleep. Yeah, well, he probably put you to sleep, Charles. It yeah, well, well, you and Frank Morano, though, have something in common. You both have Jewish children. Ah. That's interesting. That's right. That's right. Carmine. Technically, is Jewish because his mother, who is not a practicing it, Jew, it's not technically. He's a hundred percent Jewish. If the mother is Jewish, yes, right. according to law, halacha, he's Jewish. That's right. If the mother is not. If the father is Jewish, doesn't mean much, at least according to Orthodox law. But you know, he is so screwy, and he is such a contrarian. He's going to try to figure out a way out of all of this. I'm telling you, Charles. I, I know Frank 
for too long. He was uh, born a Catholic. He now claims he's an Episcopalian. He does marriages even though he didn't go to any seminary. He's had no uh, clerical, I mean, clergy training whatsoever. I'm telling you, Charles, we're going to have a problem with Frank Morano. And to all of you out there, remember what Morano means. At the time when Christopher Columbus was being given the Santa and the Maria, wait a second, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa, and the Maria, right? The Nina, the Pinta, the Santa, and the Maria, the four ships. And he went west where everyone else had been going east to find the way to uh, China for all the riches and the spices. The Portuguese went that way. But, oh, no, 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 Christopher Columbus, a Jew, by the way, that's right, a lot of people will argue that, from Genoa, convinced Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand to please provide him with the four ships, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa, and the Maria, and he would discover a way to uh, the east by going west. And everyone thought he was Zubats, Meshug, uh, out of his mind. While that was going on, there was an inquisition against the Jews. Out you go. Many of them who ended up uh, going to Poland and uh, started to collect taxes uh, for the kings and princes there. Uh, but it was either leave uh, Spain now or off with your head. And then those that converted under the threat of death were called Mojanos. So now you know the rest of the story. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jeremiah, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Jeremiah. Hey, how you doing, uh, Curtis? Listen, I, I can't under, I never understood that, that battle, that warfare between the Irish, the Scots, the Welsh, they all the English, they're all Northern Europeans. What, why, why, why did they hate It's like it. If the Puerto Ricans and the Cubans and the Dominicans, we all go go to war with one another, and the Haitians, it makes no it, it makes no sense. I understand what was that all about? What was that? Uh, well, the hatred towards war. Let's uh, look at what's happening right now on the island of Hispaniola, which uh, was divided up into the Dominican Republic on one side, Haiti on the other side. The Dominican Republic is now building a fence, a wall. Uh, between the DR and Haiti because there there's long-term hate. Uh, the Dominicans yeah, do not like the Haitians uh, at all. They don't want the Haitians coming into their country. So imagine they're building a wall. We can't finish our wall here, but they're building a wall there. They, so there's that hate. Now, when you go, okay. when you deal with uh, uh, the English, when you deal with the Scots, when you deal with the Irish, uh, you're dealing with those that were Protestants and those that were Catholics. And those wars began during the Reformation. And unfortunately, they continue in the minds of many who are staunch in their views. So even though they live in the United Kingdom, a lot of it comes down still to religion, Jeremiah. Okay, but the difference between, let's say, the Dominicans, the Haitians, which is really Stupid. I mean, it really pisses me off because we're all brothers, uh, blacks, Latinos, and Native Americans. We're all brothers. But between the Haitians and the, and the Dominicans, it, one side was French, the other side was Spanish. That's a little, even though they were Roman Catholics, which is another dumb, dumb thing. They all come under the, the banner of the Roman Catholics. The French were Roman Catholics and the Spanish were. But it's a French culture 
Spanish culture. So I can understand there might be some animosity. And also when the Haitians won their their uh, their independence, you know, from the from the French from Napoleon, and they decided they wanted to go the 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 how they could rob the house and still take the whole island. That was the reason why that happened. But the the over there in Ireland and, and Scotland, they're all Northern Europeans. They're all you know pretty much. I don't know, Northern Europeans, you yeah, understand? Right. They're all pretty much the same people. They've been warring against each other for centuries. Now, you mentioned Haiti. Haiti was the first country uh, to follow in the footsteps of the United States Revolution of uh, 1776. La Vauture led the uh, slave revolt against uh, Napoleon and the French and beat Napoleon and the French totally unexpectedly. And you are right. They tried to take the whole island of Hispaniola. And then they had problems because uh, there were others uh, who were sympathetic uh, to both the French and sympathetic to the uh, Spanish who never really gave uh, that island an opportunity at true sovereignty and true independence. But it was the second nation in the world to declare its independence, to have a constitution based on what had been created here in the United States and to have a full-fledged uh, democracy. A lot of people don't know that, Jeremiah. That was Haiti. That's right. Uh, that's true. Uh, they were the first uh, black state to fight independence against a European power. Even that, you know, that's so sad, too. They'll go back to Haiti because if you go deeper than that, further than that, basically we were all brothers because we were all the Tainos. We were all Tainos, Arawak, Caribes. But mainly Tainos, and it's until the, they brought the black slaves and the and the white, the Spanish and the the Spanish and the and the, and the French. But I can understand the reason why the Dominicans and Haiti will have a little bit uh, a strife, a little bit beef, you know, because you're talking about uh, uh, Napoleon, French, and you got the Spanish on the Ferdinand and all that, and oh, King Charles, but. Uh, up there in Ireland, they're pretty Northern European. They're pretty the same people. I mean, most most of them are, are Roman Catholic. Okay, you got the pro, you got a difference of religion, but they're, they're the same. Oh, people. but really- I, I know. But I'm telling you, Jeremiah, the religion led to the killings of millions, millions during the Reformation, millions back and forth, back and forth. William the Orange, then obviously the Catholics. And the battles, they went on and on and on. The executions, the impaling. I mean, it is it is hard for us to imagine that people over religion would kill so many when the differences were at times so different. And it was always about papal authority. Was your allegiance to the Pope, the Vatican in Rome, uh, or was your allegiance to the Protestant faith, which did not believe in a pope? And then you had the chasm that existed with the Western uh, Christians, who were Roman Catholics, and the breakaway of the Eastern Church, the Eastern Orthodox, who decided that they would not follow in the footsteps uh, of uh, following the dictates of a pope in uh, Rome. Fascinating how it all broke out. But the battles between Catholics and Protestants went on and on and on, and blood was shed, and people were hung. 
they were uh, dismembered, separated from their heads, were separated from their shoulders, impaled on stakes. It was absolutely barbaric, all in the name of God. Whose God do you worship? Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Johnny, who's calling from Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here. Uh, please, uh, Mr. Sliwa, I have a name, uh, Curtis, the weekend warrior. Sliwa takes no prisoners. And I have an answer as well. For when, you know when people call it in, you get upset about, you know, masking how you feel and how is this. I know it upsets you a lot, but I have a reply for you. Do you want to hear it? Absolutely. All right. When they call up and they say, Curtis, how are you today? Here's how you should reply. I don't know about you, but I feel good. I don't know about you, but I feel good. That is really good. <laughs> and as Paul Harvey would say, now you heard the rest of the story. That is brilliant, Johnny. Brilliant. It's upbeat. It's positive. I like the beat, the flow. I heard it out of the woofers and tweeters of the speakers here at WABC. Yeah, I'm on to it. I'll leave you with one last message because I got a couple, but I'll save it for the next time. I guess you. it resonated that um, Mr. Sid... I'm me, myself, the new show, uh, has been listening to your shows at night because he says, Bob, I've been hearing that, you know, some people think I too, I'm too self-absorbed. And that with the six callers that Curtis, get, Curtis gets on the weekend, you know, but it doesn't bother me. Uh, the bottom line was last week, of obviously poor Bernie being gone, and they have that quiz section again, which I brought up the last time, actually. Well... They had a whole bunch of sports questions all day, all week long. All sports, all acting questions and songs. There was one very astute woman on Thursday morning, I believe. She says, you know, why do you have to have all sports questions? Why do you have all that? I'm a person of history. Well, you never get a response, and you never will. And it's not so much to to make an accusation of it. It really is... Not very good. He has to be capable of answering other questions. Well, that's true. And, Johnny, I must tell you, though, that Bernard McGurk uh, most times is well enough to do the show. Uh, Having gone through a stage four prostate cancer myself, I know exactly what Bernard McGurk is going through right now. He basically has three weeks where he's normalized and then one week where he's he's, – going through uh, chemotherapy, and it knocks the living daylights out of him, so he's not able to join his partner, Sid Rosenberg. So uh, Beat Burning uh, definitely is based on a wide range of subjects, mostly about history and politics. Uh, But when Sid does substitute, obviously his strength in terms of remembering uh, things uh, has to do uh, with the range of sports. But there's no doubt. That Sid does listen to this show at night. There's no doubt about it. I know because I've heard him in the morning make references to things that people have said here. And up next, I have to begin to tell you about a theory that I have uh, about 
the host of The Other Side of Midnight, Monday through Fridays, who has scored a tremendous ratings coup, more so than any other host in the history of WABC here before uh, in uh, talk radio. But there's something that's going on that I've uh, built a thread on. Oh, and I'm on to it. I'm really on to it. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. This is the number one song in Moscow and St. Petersburg at all the discos. It's uh, number one with a Kalashnikov bullet, a tribute to uh, the dictator, Vladimir Putin. And it leads me to the discussion of uh, a thread that I'm going to put together that I hope some of you have the patience to understand what is going on. As you know, uh, Frank Morano has created a situation that now requires me to find a new name for the other side of midnight. It was the weekend edition. I'm more than happy to do that. But I was very troubled because I listen as much as I can Monday through Fridays to a show from one to five. It's 20 hours a week. Oftentimes I'm on the subway trains with the Guardian Angels patrolling because uh, the crime has gone up 200 percent in the subways. It's out of control. So I'm depending on all of you to rat him out, and some of you have. In fact, it was an interesting discussion he had about his brother appearing on the Jesse Waters show on the Fox News channel. Carmine Morano. Um, he is my younger brother, happens to be a doctor, a scientist. He's a, a Ph.D., and he's a Marxist. And, of course, if there's anything that, that defines Nicholas more than anything, it's wanting more money for free, more stimulus money. Now, I don't think that is a sound financial um, approach at all or a sound economic approach. I fear it would actually be far more inflationary and it would encourage more people not to work, only exacerbating the supply chain issue. And Nicholas knows all that, too. He's a bright guy uh, with multiple postgraduate degrees, which beat the zero postgraduate degrees that I have. But. When it comes to Nick, he's not thinking about broader economic policy. He's thinking about himself, and he wants another one of those $1,000 checks from the government. So I was happy to see him on the Fox News channel, although I disagree with his solution. And I'm I'm sure knowing Nick and how verbose he is, he probably gave a lengthy commentary, and then they just kind of cherry-picked those two aspects of it. But uh, it was interesting to see my brother Nick on uh, the Jesse Waters show yesterday. Yeah, and I saw him too. I know, I know Frank Morano's younger brother, Nicholas. He, uh, he is a Marxist. There's no doubt about it. He is a Marxist. So Frank is not lying about that. He spells his name Nicholas not the way you would from an Italian family, but the way a Russian would spell Nicholas. Interesting. Marxist spells his name Nicholas. And is well-educated and has multiple degrees, which he's not lying. There was a time that I had to be transported from Tottenville on the South Shore to the ferry. And I was in the company of Frank Morano, and for some reason, his uh, car, his lotta was not working. 
So he asked Nicholas to come pick both of us up in his Lada. Now, Lada is the old uh, Soviet, the old Soviet uh, car, car maker. They both have Ladas. What does that tell you? I mean, you know, with the floorboards rotted out in Franks. So Nicholas drove us to the ferry and had quite a few conversations along the way that suggested to me that, hmm, yeah, this guy really is a communist. He really is a person who believes in the old Soviet Union. He had a series of uh, posters that were up in his lot of his car that were very disconcerting. But before we go to that, I want you to hear about an upcoming trip that Frank Morano will be making, which just happens to be on April 22nd of this year. You know, it's funny. I told you when I bought a ticket to my uh, brother's wedding, how I bought it the wrong way. Instead of going from New York to Hawaii, I bought it from Hawaii to New York. I want you to repeat that one more time if you can. And listen, 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 because there's some technology involved in this. You know, it's funny. I told you when I bought a ticket to my uh, brother's wedding how I bought it the wrong way. Instead of going from New York to Hawaii, I bought it from Hawaii to New York. Hmm. So he's going to be on Hawaii, April 22nd. Do you know what date April 22nd is? Let's see if our listeners can sort of connect the dots on this. 1-800-848-9222. Whose birthday is on April 22nd? 1-800-848-WABC. So we've established that Frank's younger brother, Nicholas, who has uh, achieved a lot academically but is a hardcore Marxist and drives a Lada, the old Soviet-slash-Russian car. He did appear on Jesse Waters. I saw saw his appearance myself. He is getting married in Hawaii on April 22nd of this year, and Frank will be going to the wedding. Now, there is significance in that. But before I connect the dots on that, and again... What is the significance of April 22nd? Whose birthday is that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Here is Frank Morano with his many guests who uh, he has had on his show who have consistently given a more Soviet Union Russian view of what's happening with their invasion of the Ukraine. What's your view of how sanctions have worked out and how they will work out? Well, I think at the end of the day, we're going to regard what we did, especially the seizure of the Russian central bank assets, as a huge self-inflicted wound. Uh, I don't think they're going to get the Russians out of Ukraine. I don't think they're going to overthrow Putin. But I do think... They're going to bring a really first-class economic calamity uh, to the world. Interesting point of view. And he uh, adds to it. That's a gigantic step. I mean, you know, that's a WFD, a weapon of financial destruction, in the sense that it signifies 
the abolition of all contracts with the Ruskies or Russian companies. Now, that's a big deal because they play a really important role in a lot of very important commodity complexes. I mean, energy, oil and natural gas, uh, all the metals, all the grains. Now, in addition, his younger brother, Nicholas, uh, who has all these uh, doctorate degrees, lives in Red Square, which is 250 Houston Street, not Houston Street, Houston Street on the Lower East Side. Are any of you aware of what figure was on the rooftop of Red Square located at 250 Houston Street on the Lower East Side? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me explain. Let me connect the dots here. I know you're scratching your head there, uh, Izzy, and wondering, hmm. Well, April 22nd is the birthday of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. And 250 Houston Street, Red Square, where Nicholas, his younger brother, lives. And by the way, he spells his name Nicholas the Russian way, not the Italian way at one time had a figure of Vladimir Lenin on the roof that everybody could see, Vladimir Lenin, that has since been transported to Norfolk Street on the Lower East Side. The owner-operator is uh, (laughs) now living in North Vietnam. What does that tell you? And the fact that the wedding is taking place in Hawaii, it's taking place at a location in Kauai, called Fort Elizabeth. Fort Elizabeth was the old Russian fort that the Russians had from 1815 to 1817 when they were thinking of not only uh, controlling Alaska and the Aleutian Islands, but also the islands of Hawaii, the four islands of Hawaii. So I'm just going to throw that out there temporarily now for all of you to consider as I weave this, that is becoming increasingly more apparent to me. And I think I have to expose our listeners to this. But, hey, look, some people would say I have sour grapes because Frank has forced me to change the name of this program, which had been the other side of Midnight to Weekend Edition. It's okay. It's okay. But in the meantime, I have my right to listen and then to weave. It's okay, Izzy. It's all right. Look, I may be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I think I'm on to something. He identified his own brother as a Marxist. Did he not? Yes, he did. And he spells his name the czarist way, the Russian way, the Putin way, Nicholas. Anyway, let's go to Frank calling all the way from the heartland of America, Ohio. Your turn to be heard on WABC, Frank. Hello, Curtis. Uh, I have something for your... uh your show, the Curtis Sleewall, Guardian of the Airwaves, mm. Guardian of the Late Night, mm. 77 WABC. That's good. Now, which part of Ohio are you calling from, the Buckeye State? Uh, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. I'm around the uh, Pennsylvania-Ohio border. Oh, okay. Pennsylvania. You near Ashtabula? Yes, uh, that area, yes. Yeah, no, I've spent time in Ashtabula there. and. Oh, yeah. 
uh, yes, uh, going back and forth uh, from Cleveland and right through Pennsylvania on the Pennsylvania Turnpike back through New Jersey and New York. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of snow up here. We had snow yesterday because of the – uh, well, you guys got it too, I think. Nah, we we got uh, we got nothing. We got opinions. I mean, these so-called experts, right? Doppler right. weather system, AccuWeather, right? Meantime, right. they they said we were going to have a snow bomb. That we were going to have snow emergency. We were going to have a nor'easter. We got what we say in Italian is ugats in Yiddish, bupkis. We got nothing, Frank. Nada. Nada. Correct. Hey, very good Russian. Nada. <laughs> Very good, Frank. We get the lake effect up here. Like I mean, like in 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 ten minutes of snow like heck, and then the next ten minutes the sun will be out. Yeah. And now, uh, where were you originally born and raised? Uh, central Pennsylvania. Central. Okay. And then, so you decided to move further west towards Ashtabula, towards the border. I learned uh, how to tune pianos out here, and then I. Got on the railroad. I started working on the railroad on the track department. Ah, so you were tuning years. pianos with a Steinways or with the other pianos? Oh, they were from from the very worst to the very best. Uh, you know, Curtis, a, a piano has to be for for people that have money because it should be tuned twice a year because of the water, uh, the air air temperature goes up and it goes down, and that affects the the metal and the wood. And the cheaper pianos, they just don't stay in tune. Like somebody, I have a piano, and they they, they say, oh, I like to have my piano tuned. I said, well, you had a tune. When was the last time? Oh, about 12 years ago. Well, it might be a half step out. It might take three times to bring it up to standard tuning. And and then uh, I'll walk away a month later. It's going to be crap because it's a, a bad piano. Now, who uh, taught you that craft, that trade, Frank? I went to a school in Cleveland. Uh, I uh, wanted to – I, I – Dated a girl that her grandfather was a piano tuner, and and I one I was in, I was really interested, and so she introduced me to him, and he says to me one thing, and this is great to trade to get into, but you're never going to get rich at it. You better have another job, and that's true. Well, I remember Frank. Uh, my mother forced me to play piano for four years. Four years of my life, I'll never get back. I hated every day of it. Right. But uh, she was very diligent. I forget the name of the brand of piano that she she and my father had bought, uh, the three of us, because all three of us had to play, my older sister, Alita, myself, and my younger sister, Maria. But right. she would have the piano tuner come over twice a year. Right. And I would watch him tune the piano while the instructor was there, and she was telling him mm-hmm. she wanted this tune or that tune. and they, Right. I couldn't understand what they were doing, but they had an ear for it. It was like, it was like something out of old Europe. Curtis, I, I, I I'm seventy and I still can tune a piano with one tuning fork, and and the whole piano one tuning fork. I don't need no no machine, no nothing else. And it's it's something you learn, and it's really uh, it's amazing when you're done doing it. You go, whoa. Oh, that's great. Now, at one point, you would think of a piano, you would think Steinway. And now I see that there are the uh, uh, areas flooded with a lot of red Chinese uh, Mm -hmm. versions of pianos and some that are European. Which were the ones that you tuned or or you dealt with that you felt were like top shelf five star? Baldwin. Baldwin made in Ohio, uh, Wurlitzer. They're like the the second chef of Steinway. Steinway is is it, but uh, you uh, 
you, here's what I tell a, a person that has a really bad piano. I says, go out and buy a, a synthesizer. You plug it in. It has 200 sounds and 200 rhythms, and it never goes out of tune. Now, do you still tune pianos? Every once in a while, somebody will call me up, and I'll and I don't even do it for money. I just do it for a pie. Give me an apple pie, and I'll be happy. An apple pie? Yeah, I mean, what the heck? I mean, it, it ain't gonna stay that long. I tell them, I, it, I mean, I'll make it nice for a while, but it's gonna go south real quick. So you were a piano tuner. You learned that craft in Cleveland, and then you went to work for the railroad. Yes. And which railroad was that? It was a uh, Conrail. Oh, Conrail. All right. And what did you do at Conrail? Track department. Fixed the tracks. Ooh, not an easy, not an easy job. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Uh, welded, heavy equipment, drive truck, do everything on the railroad. You could do it. That's why I tell people to get a job on the railroad. Try to get a job on the railroad and you'll love it. Now, uh, how uh, scientific is it? Because I would think with the track and particularly the uh, trains at going at such a quick pace, Right. That if you're slightly off of the uh, track adjustment, it, it could create a calamity. There's a lot of things that could create a calamity, especially people that park their cars that uh, want to take their life out. Uh, on New Year's Day, they love, people like to sit on the crossings and let the trains take them out. You know, I mean, that's, there's so many things that can take a train out. Did you personally experience that where you had to go to a scene where... Yeah, yes, yeah. And they just... Sit there in their car, uh-huh. waiting for that locomotive to bear yep. down on them and crush them. Especially a curve where the engineer can't see them, you know, and they'll 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 have a place picked right out, and boom, that's it. It is amazing because when I was in Japan, uh-huh. which has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, a lot of it is the pressure to do academically well. Unfortunately, a lot of younger people will commit suicide because they don't feel they're living up to their parents uh, or their family's uh, expectations. They would cross this this bridge in Sendai. It was a bridge over a gulch. Right. And they had this incredible amount of barbed wire on top of the, uh, the bridge, the footbridge. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said to my host, I said, well, is there a prison nearby here? Why is there so much barbed wire? He goes, no. Young people would find a large stone, put it in their backpack, cross halfway across the footbridge. And this is a huge gulch, gully. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they would jump over the the stone in their backpack, creating even more uh, viscosity, more uh, weight. weight, so that they could smash into the rocks below. Right. And you say to yourself, oh, my God. That there are people out there who would lay up in front of a rail on railroad tracks, mm-hmm. waiting for the uh, engine to smash them, the smithereens, or jump in front of uh, moving subway trains, which happens uh, from time to time here in New York, and London, and Japan, and Tokyo. And who suffers? The engineer and the people that are in the train watching this. You know, and who suffers? And they have bad dreams the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You well, know. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you were very enlightening on this, Frank. Thank you. Hey, uh, Curtis, guardian of the airwaves, you are. Guardian of the airwaves, I like that. And guardian of the night, 77 WABC. I like that. I God li- bless, take care. Thank you, thank you. See this, you see the the incredible types of people who have called up when you just have a conversation. That's all it is, it's a conversation. 
We had Frank there, who uh, originally started to uh, adjust uh, pianos. Then we had the gentleman, remember, who grew up in Harlem, was working for the Bureau of Indian Affairs out in Rosebud, where I had visited in South Dakota, which is the size of the state of Connecticut. We had a long conversation. That's the style of talk radio I like to do. I believe the callers have more to contribute at times than even guests, because guests, remember, they're trying to get in a certain point of view or they they have a certain uh, common phraseology. Uh, you know, they've already thought out the process. I would much rather you just speak from your heart, speak from your gut. Makes for a much more interesting discussion. There's no doubt about that. Let's go to Pete, uh, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Pete. Hi, Curtis. I got the answer to the dating game. It was Jim Lang. That's right. The dating game. The host, Jim Lang. Yeah. He would always, he, he would always, yeah, he would always wear those weird kind of suits, though. Oh, yeah. Totally 70s. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Now, who did you ask me uh, that I remembered? Yeah, do you remember the Market Diner? Because you were talking about the Westies earlier. The Market Diner. Yes, I know exactly where that was. Right. I spent a lot of time there when I worked as a stagehand. As a matter of fact, uh, I survived a hit from the Westies. Mm. I thought you'd be interested to hear that. How did that come about? Well, they ran the uh, Javits Center, and uh, they were infiltrating the stagehand unit at the time in the late 70s. And that's when uh, Vicky Spillane was in charge, you know. So they wanted to put me out because I moved up pretty quick. In a year's time, I made it to the second hand. Like I was uh, like the top boss, and I was the next one in charge to get the job was in charge of the stagehand for NBC. So uh, they wanted to put me out of the way because they had plans. It was their birthright, the whole area there. And so, that was, uh, you were a member of Local One? I was a member of Local One. It's going to be, I'm going on my 42nd year. Wow. But I'm retired now. But back in the day, I worked on Saturday Night Live. Plus, I worked in a legitimate theater. I did the magic show and uh, chorus line. And pretty much every job on Broadway. Wow! So Spillane wanted to take you out. How did you avoid getting whacked? Because that was a crazy no, crew. They went o- they went over Spillane's head. It was a gentleman by the name of Ray Boyd, who I'm sure you know. He played hockey with uh, Mullins and all of them on the West Side. Yeah, roller. They, they started playing roller hockey there. They used to be out and uh, eventually went on to uh, join the Rangers ice hockey. Right, yes. But uh, this Ray boy, he was a leg breaker and a collector. And I never had any dealings with them, but they wanted to get me out of the way because I moved up in the business. And, uh, uh, you know, it didn't fortunately work out too well for them because – they didn't go through the channels with Mickey Spillane, and I was pretty much, you know, a good fellow. I just mind my own business and did what I had to do. And plus, my uncles were big downtown, Benny Eggs and Benny Fats, and, you know, that was the guys who ran everything 
with that, but I kept them out of the business of the stage jam business. It was mostly the Irish that ran it and stuff. I was outside. I worked my way in because I had a good father that used to drive me sometimes three o'clock in the morning and drop me off at uh, like NBC or something. I became permanent over there until I got sick and I had to retire. Very interesting, uh, Pete. You mentioned uh, Benny Eggs Mangano. He used to be the right-hand man of Vinny the Chinjigani, who would roam about the streets of the West Village wearing his Irish walking cap and his bathrobe. Remember talking to the trees and the telephone poles being wheeled around by his brother, Father Louis Giganti from the uh, South Bronx. Remember what a scam that was. But they wanted to put their beak in the trough of getting their uh, their kickbacks from the Jacob Javits Center that had just been built. And the Westies controlled it, first with Mickey Spillane, who uh, got run out of the uh, Hell's Kitchen. He had to move to Woodside. And then uh, Crazy Coonan and Featherstone. And they didn't want to deal with the Italians at first. And then slowly but surely, all of that changed. Wow, we uh, discussed a panoply of different subjects tonight. But you don't want to miss it. They took an hour from me uh, in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, That's an hour I'm never going to get back, but I'm going to have to figure out a way to make that up. It's some other day part. It's some other night part because I feel violated. I feel soiled. The fact that I couldn't give you an extra hour for extenuating reasons which I'll go into later on when I join you at 9 p.m. You don't want to miss it. WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.